It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the DFS fantasy football expert, Chris Dell. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mad Journalist. It is M-A-D-D Journalist. And you can find us both on the best sports betting site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Chris, here we go. Money Picks Pod, week two. This is our favorite podcast. This is one where we get to sit down. We get to talk about season-long DFS, all the player props that we're looking at for Sunday and Monday. Guys, last week we went ahead. We did two podcasts. This week we're going to combine it into one. Chris and the rest of the team, we want to make sure that we get out all of that important information to you this weekend. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to just make this one podcast to free up a little bit of time for Chris and myself. Here we go. Game number one, San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles. For those of you guys that are following along, we are going down the list on DraftKings game by game. Eagles right now at home plus three, total 48 and a half in this game. Chris, why don't we talk a little bit about fantasy first for this one? Are there any players that you're looking at targeting, punching into your season longer DFS lineups? Uh, This is a game that I'm actually trying to stay away from for the most part. You know, the total in and of itself is not that bad, right? 49 and a half point total has been kind of the average across the week, across the board. And there's a couple players without a doubt that have solid fantasy ceilings for your DFS DraftKings lineup, especially in tournaments. We saw guys like Debo Samuel pop off last week. Jalen Hurts, obviously, at quarterback. But both these defenses actually played really well, too. And I'm worried that this could be a game that leans towards the under here. So I think because of the amount of points these two offenses scored last week, a lot of people are going to be on these players. They're going to be more high-owned than usual. So I'm not saying that I'm going to fade this game completely, but just in terms of projected pace, total amount of snaps, total amount of offensive plays, this is leaning towards the lower side of the spectrum when we're looking at the rest of the games for week two on Sunday. So, you know, Jalen Hurts obviously is a standalone play. You want to play him naked at quarterback without stacking anyone else. Like maybe you want to stack Devontae Smith. I'm not really high on that stack personally this week. And I think a lot of people are going to be rushing to play Debo Samuel again, hoping for another breakout performance like he had in week one. I'm going to fade that for the most part. So obviously those are solid plays, but those aren't plays that are at the top of my board for my DFS top plays for week two overall. Uh, In terms of the player props for this game, I mean, Jalen Hurts, we talked about Steve, – Steve Reeder and I are doing the uh, weekly NFL recap pod every Sunday night, and we talked about Jalen Hurts, the fact that in all his starts in the NFL, he's had at least 60 rushing yards in every single start, although it's a small sample size. And I said as soon as the line comes out in week two, we got to smash the over. And the line came out right at about 40 and a half. Uh, it's been steamed up all the way to 50 and a half. So I'm not, I'm not telling you to go bet that. Uh, because we did give that out as one of our premium plays at, at 41 and a half when it first came out. But obviously, you know, I, I still do believe there's value there. It's just very difficult to bet a line after it's been moved up 10 yards. Uh, you know, this is going to be a game where San Francisco's defense has a chance to flex its muscles a little bit. And Jalen Hurts might struggle to throw through the air, which means he might take to the ground even more than usual. So I look for Hurts to run a lot. Uh, and, I, and again, like, you know, the over on his rushing yards, I still don't think it's set high enough. Although, again, it is difficult to bet that now at this point in the week at 50 and a half because DraftKings put out prop lines uh, much earlier than usual for week two compared to what they were doing for last season. So hopefully that's the new norm. And we, we, might, we actually might have to push this podcast back earlier in the week if that continues to be the new trend. So we'll keep our eye and see what happens next week with that. But that's kind of my overall thoughts for this game as a whole DFS wise and player props. 
you know, one of the things that I'm noticing, Chris, you know, I'm not talking about the Vegas books. I'm talking about the East Coast books. A, a lot of the player props within those books have changed from last year to this year, meaning, you know, the release time, uh, the juice that you're paying with some of these books. I noticed that FanDuel right now, uh, you're playing around minus 114 for any prop that you want to bet. So they're going ahead. They're attaching the juice there because they understand, you know, that the prop market right now is just far better than the game market because it's just just there's so much uh, liquid in the game market that it, it, the lines are really tight there. And, and generally, you know, the lines are going to be right. But the player prop market, there's a little bit of wiggle room for guys like you and I. But they're going ahead and they're attaching a little bit of juice. As far as that Eagles game is concerned, Chris, the only thing I was really thinking about doing, I'm avoiding all props in that game, but I was thinking about maybe using a Quez Watkins or a Gainwell. You know, it was one of my cheap guys because, as you had mentioned, you know, the total is high. You kind of lean to the under. I kind of do, too. I think there will be some overreactions due to, you know, what these teams did last week. But if I'm looking at anything to pull out of that game, it's probably just going to be a cheap DFS guy like a Gainwell or like a Watkins. That's probably all I'm going to do with that game. Let's jump over to another game here, Chris. Houston Texans, they're going to be on the road in Cleveland. Cleveland rang a massive number here, minus 13. Over and under in this one, right around 48. I'll let you go ahead and rip and run first, Chris. I will say one thing. Your boy Tyrod Taylor is on my uh, he's on my target list for this week. But I'll let you talk first. What do you got? Well, I'm I'm having I'm having a little caution because we all remember what happened week two last year. He was about to get the start for the Chargers, and his lung got punctured by one of the trainers on the staff. So let's just cross our fingers and hope that Tyrod Taylor makes it through a season without getting his lungs punctured in week two. But if he does, then I actually am high on Tyrod Taylor. And, and you know, it's the opposite of what we talked about in the uh, 49ers and Eagles game where you, were, you and I are both in agreement to where we think people are going to be overreacting to the amount of points that those two offenses put up in week one. I think it's the opposite in this case where people are going to maybe underreact in a sense to what Tyrod Taylor and the Texans did. I, I've heard that uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase so far this week, sleepy that, Oh, well, the Jaguars won what one in week one last year, and, and they went one in 15 to close out the rest of the season. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the Texans. Like I wouldn't go that far to say that. And honestly, I, I think it's pretty disrespectful to have them lined as like multi touchdown underdogs going on the road against the Browns teams that a uh, Browns team that hasn't proven anything. So as, as much as I think the Browns are a good team, and obviously I'm not looking at the Texans, Texans as, a, as a playoff team by any means, I think the Texans offense can move the ball in this game. And I've got Tyrod Taylor ranked number 12 in my quarterback rankings overall, one spot ahead of Matthew Stafford, one spot behind Ryan Tannehill. Uh, the one prop that I gave out early for our premium subscribers early in the week. And again, the difference between our free content and our premium content is just the fact that we're giving access to information about bets the moment we make them in the player prop market. So my player props column will come out every Sunday morning for free, just like it did all last year. But the thing is now is that the books are putting out these props early in the week, like we talked about. And as soon as we're on a prop, we're putting that in our, in our subscriber discord channel. We're putting that in our premium section of the website to make sure people get advantage of the best lines possible. So in this case, the prop that I like the most when the lines first came out, and we talked about him a lot before, is Brandon Cooks. And that's that's a line that you can take advantage of still right now, over under 60 and a half. I do like the over on Brandon Cooks. This is a guy that more than doubled that in week one. I know it was against a pretty soft defense in the Jaguars, but the air yards are there. The targets are there. 
and he's getting, you know, 30 plus percent target share and air yard share in this offense, which are elite numbers. And we've seen Brandon Cooks put up elite numbers with all types of different quarterbacks in different situations in the past. So in a game where we have this team, this Texans team projected the trail by multiple touchdowns, they're going to need to air it out even more than they did in week one. I think Brandon Cooks is an absolute smash play in DFS. And to me, 60 and a half, that's just a completely disrespectful number. I would not be surprised to see him go for 100 plus yards in back-to-back weeks. So that's my favorite player prop. That's the only player prop I'm on for this game. And frankly, it's the only DFS play I'm really on as well, because I think the Browns go to kind of stick to the ground and pound, come out of here one and one after losing to the Chiefs last week. Uh, Tyrod Taylor could be an interesting guy for a cash game lineup, but uh, to win a GPP, I don't know if Tyrod Taylor has like the 300 plus yard multi-touchdown passing uh, ceiling within him. So I'm going to hold off on that. But Brandon Cooks to me does have that ceiling. And he's the guy that's finished top 10 in fantasy points per game. Seemingly every season he's played fully healthy in the NFL. So I'm all over that. And I think the people, I think that people are underreacting what the Texans did last week, especially what Cooks did last week. You know, typically this is going to be a bad spot for the Cleveland Browns coming off of playing a tough road game against a great team in the Kansas City Chiefs that they came up short. So you would expect maybe, you know, a little bit of a lackluster performance from them. But again, um, you know, they are playing Houston. They might look to try to get right and run the score up. But I think Tyrod Taylor actually has some value here, Chris, with his completions. If you look at the pass attempts for him, it's lined at 33 and a half minus 130. So they think he's going to throw a lot. And when you have a game that's lined at 13, that's telling me that the Texans are probably going to be behind in this particular game. Now, do I trust, you know, the the, the Browns defense to go ahead and step up and perform? Uh, I do. I just don't know if it's going to kind of bend and break like it did last weekend. I, I know it was against Mahomes. But look, Tyrod Taylor over his completions, it's only 19 and a half. I could see him throwing 40 plus passes in this game saying, you know what, this is our guy this season. But we're going to let him just go out there and rip and run. Houston has nothing to lose this season. I mean, their, their projected season win total was like four, four and a half. So where were they going? Why not go out there, throw the kitchen sink at this team? And hell, you know, it is the Browns. Maybe they just implode for a game. Maybe they, you know, do let down a little bit. Maybe Tyrod goes out there. Maybe they steal a game, you know, from out of nowhere. Maybe that's kind of the thought process in here. What's the sense of going out there, playing close to the vest, playing it low, playing it slow, you know, with running backs like Johnson and Ingram? Uh, I don't believe that that's going to be the case. I think Texans are going to come into this game saying, you know what, let's give this team all that they can handle. Let's go out there and throw the football. And I think Tyrod Taylor completes over 19 and a half completion passes. So uh, that's what I'm going to do there, Chris. Feel half decent about that particular wager. Let's go ahead. Let's jump into our next game here. The Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, there will be a home dog here, Chris, plus three and a half, minus three and a half for Buffalo on the road after a loss last week. We have a total on this one, 47 and a half. Chris, I lean very, very, very strong to the under in this one. I'm going to go ahead and put out a defensive rankings article, and both of these teams are in my top five. I have Buffalo and Miami in my top five defenses. I like the under in this one. More than likely, I'm probably going to avoid plugging any players in any DFS season long or any of my prop wagers for this week. Maybe some unders actually might actually surface, but that's what I'm kind of thinking. Yeah, you know, this is one of the few games. So, And this was interestingly uh, one of the last games that got put up on the prop board. I think that that had to do with Will Fuller and his uncertainty. And, you know, he he was slated to come back off his one, his week one suspension this week, but now he's being held out for quote-unquote personal reasons. So 
I think you go right back in terms of season long, you go right back to guys like Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle. They were the clear one-two combination for Tua last week. Uh, and, and although I do agree with you that these are two above average defenses, I think these are two offenses that operate at, at relatively fast paces. So while I'm, a, I'm not expecting touchdown efficiency to necessarily be there, I think the volume of plays with the amount of plays that the Bills like to run it is going to give these skill players enough chances to get there, quote unquote, in DFS. And, and we talked about this last week, Sleepy, one of the props that we hit on. And, you know, our, uh, my official player props column, you know, we wound up hitting again in week one. We were nine and six overall. Nice 60 percent winning clip there. One of the one of the props that I will pat myself on the back for was Emmanuel Sanders. And I gave him out over thirty three and a half yards. And I, I believe I said almost verbatim that his line is going to be closer to 50 in the next couple of weeks. And this week it's at forty eight and a half. I do still think there is value on that because he actually ran more routes and played more snaps than Stephon Diggs did in week one. And he was actually running the vertical deep routes uh, in this offense. So I think Sanders, is he's going to be healthier in week two. He's going to have more experience and more chemistry under his belt with Josh Allen. So I think that if you're going to play Josh Allen in DFS, he's going to be coming in lower owned than he usually does. And in that type of case, I, I think you would look to pair him you know, with Stefan Diggs, it's going to be a pretty chalky type of stack. But if you want to have a sneaky double stack, I think you maybe pair him with Stefan Diggs and with Emmanuel Sanders because you could be getting some major upside there just in case this game does have more points than we're projecting at the moment. So I, I think that there is value still on Emmanuel Sanders as like the 1B almost in that offense, especially down the field. And his projected ownership is only about 5.5% on DraftKings right now, when you're attached to a quarterback like Josh Allen, the ceiling is always going to be there. Um, so I'm not on any, any official player props for this game as of yet, because again, like I, I think the lines have been adjusted properly. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders should be right around the high forties, low fifties in his receiving props. Uh, you know, Cole Beasley does seem a little bit interesting over four and a half catches is minus minus one twenty-five right now. Uh, I just don't know if I want to overreact myself to the fact that, he had almost a career high in targets last week. That might have been more uh, you know, of a schematic thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers defense really shutting down the, the top receivers on the Bills. So um, that's the only place I'm really looking here is you know the Bills are going to pass a lot. You know they're going to run a very pass-happy, up-tempo offense. And I would be looking to attack in those areas. But other than that, it's still tough for me to trust this Dolphins offense and who is Tua going to look for on a consistent basis here uh, Jalen Waddle seems like the best guy to attack in that sense. And, you know, 47 and a half yards for him. If he is the true wide receiver one in this offense, then that number is simply too low. And there's also a reason why his over on receptions three and a half is minus 145. That's the type of juice I really don't like to play as much as I can. Uh, but there is value on, on those two being that Will Fuller's out again. And we have, you know, a for, former college teammates here with another week of experience under their belts. They're only going to get better with time especially if there's no one else trying to mess up that pecking order of targets. So that's the only place I can look in terms of the passing attacks. It's tough for me to see the running backs really to get much going in this game. So let me ask you a question about the running backs there, Chris, quickly, because last week, you know, going into week one, we noticed that there were some healthy scratches. Zach Moss was, you know, technically, you know, a healthy scratch. Now I'm looking at the rushing props for both Singletary and Josh Allen. Josh Allen right now, right around 31 yards, Singletary right around 36. If Moss doesn't play, I mean, don't they seem like two decent overs to go ahead and take 
And the reason I bring that up and I ask you that question is because I actually have the Miami secondary rated very high. I think if Josh Allen is struggling at all to go ahead and find open guys, well, he's going to take off and run. I mean, last week he ran for like 44 yards. So I don't know what you think about the whole Moss situation or about those two player props. At first glance, my initial thought was maybe I could play Singletary or Josh Allen over there rushing. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I think there is value there. Um, you could even look to Devin Singletary. His rushing and receiving prop is 57 and a half. It's slightly juiced to the over at minus 120. Uh, he's the guy that we have projected in terms of just rushing yards alone uh, in, in around like the mid-50s area. But that's a situation I'm not betting yet because we haven't had official word if Zach Moss is going to play. There's a chance that they throw Zach Moss back into the mix because Matt Breida really didn't do anything as the second option in week one. So I don't know exactly what that was all about. Zach Moss did show promise in his rookie season, and for him to get the healthy scratch in week one was very surprising outside of the Trey Sermon news in San Francisco. Um, so projection-wise, then yeah, like Singletary right now is projected for a lot more yards than what the prop says, but there's a lot of uncertainty still. And with, the, with an offense that likes to throw as much as Buffalo does, uh, it really gives me caution to ever bet a rushing prop over on a guy like Devin Singletary there. So, you know, that that's a tough one for me. Uh, I think I can only look passing-wise with the Bills. And, and with the Dolphins, I just don't know if I can trust them yet in terms of betting overs on these guys' props. Like I said, the only one that I feel semi-confident in would be Jalen Waddell because he has the explosive nature and the, and the prior chemistry with Tua. Uh, but, you know, Singletary, I, I think there is value, but it, it's just to me, like I, I just had too many caution flags around that guy uh, to play his, you know, eight and a half rush attempts over, you know, the rushing receiving, the rushing. Uh, if, if Zach Moss gets ruled out and, and you've got your book right next to you, then jump on and bet and bet some of those overs for sure. But I'll, if all of a sudden Moss is ruled in, uh, then you want to go to that book and I think you want to bet the under. So I could go either way with that. I'd wait to see what the news breaks on Moss. Yeah, I think some of that number has something to do with, you know, the fact that Matt Breida, you know, is, is still doing his kind of thing. He was, you know, rather ineffective there. Let's jump over to our next game here. I'm going to talk another NFC East, uh, Patriots and Jets. Patriots are going to be a road favorite here, minus six. Total 42 and a half. This game was a little difficult for me to probably pull a player prop out of as well. I'm going to throw it over to you, Chris, and, and see what your thoughts are. There was one guy I was looking at, and I'm just like, I don't know if I even want to mess with him, but I'll let you go ahead and see if you go ahead and bring him up, and then I'll circle back and, and maybe touch and pile on. What do you got? Yeah, I'm with you, man. You know, we're starting off with some of the toughest games for props, in my opinion, and, and this is one of them. I, I think the Bills-Dolphins and then the Jets-Patriots here, these two AFC East divisional matchups, I'm really trying to shy away as much as I can uh, for player props in these games. Although the two guys that I had circled to start the week – and I still have circled right now, but I haven't made official yet. One would, one would again be Corey Davis. He's the clear wide receiver one in this offense. And I think he spent so many of the early years of his careers labeled as a bust. We saw him kind of have a semi breakout season in Tennessee last year. And he appropriately got paid by Tennessee in the offseason. And he showed chemistry as the wide receiver one with Zach Wilson all offseason and during the preseason. Uh, will the Patriots be able to scheme him away? You know, if the Patriots are winning this game by a lot, or if this game is competitive, uh, I think Zach Wilson's going to look to his guy. So I think over 54 and a half, it doesn't seem like that line has moved very much from what it was last week. I believe last week, Corey Davis was right around that same number. 
Uh, and then we do have guys like Jamison Crowder and Keelan Cole coming back into the offense, but those guys, they really affect Elijah Moore. They don't really affect Corey Davis, who's going to be the number one perimeter wide receiver on this team. So Zach Wilson showed the willingness to throw the ball down the field. And if Corey Davis is going to, is going to be running those intermediate to deep type of routes, I don't see any, I, I don't see the Jets having a huge lead in this game, right? Whether they're, they're competitive or not, that, that's another story for another day. But the fact is, if, if they're either going to be in a neutral game script or a negative game script and trailing, Corey Davis is going to get there. And 54 and a half to me, that's just too low of a number for a guy who I don't think the market has realized that he truly is the number one receiver because they still have the hype around Elijah Moore. There's new receivers coming back into the fold. Uh, Bill Belichick's coming to town and his defense to play against the rookie quarterback. So I think all of those public narratives are maybe working in our favor to where we can take advantage. And it, again, this line is slightly juiced to the un, uh, to the over at minus 120. So Corey Davis, 54 and a half. I still have that circled. Uh, it hasn't really moved much, but I think that there's other factors at play there. And then the other one I circled, which I'm shying away from a little bit, and you tell me your thoughts on this as we wrap this game up, Sleepy, was Nelson Aguilar. And a lot of people are very high this week on Jacoby Myers and James White uh, because Jacoby Myers, he's going to be the slot guy, the safety blanket for uh, Mac Jones, and James White, same thing. But the Patriots were trailing a lot in that game to Miami. And you know, I know that the Patriots, is why I brought that up, is like they're your Sheep's play of the week, but – I have a hard time seeing the Patriots playing from behind for large portions of this game. So I don't know how much James White will be involved to that effect. And same goes for Jacoby Myers, whereas Nelson Aguilar, he got the targets last week. He got a lot, he got the air yards as well. And for a deep threat like him, he was the wide receiver one in, in Las Vegas all last year. He's the exact same type of profile as a Corey Davis to where he was labeled as a bust for even more years than Corey Davis was. And the fact is, this could be the second straight year where Aguilar proves himself as a wide receiver one on an NFL team. And it might take the market a long time to catch up and buy into that again. So Nelson Aguilar, 46 and a half as the deep threat, as one of the 1A, 1B top receivers in this offense. Uh, I don't think that Jacoby Myers should be lined eight yards higher than him when Jacoby Myers is running a bunch of slant routes and short routes out of the slot. So catches is another thing, but receiving yards to me, Nelson Aguilar, 46 and a half. This opened at 47 and a half. Uh, I, I don't know if a one yard difference is going to shy away from me betting the over on that, but that's where I clearly see value is on the two top perimeter receivers in each of these offenses, because I do believe Zach Wilson and Mac Jones, they will not hesitate to throw the ball downfield as opposed to other rookie quarterbacks we've seen come in the league in years past so that's where I am on this game uh and it's not a game I really want to attack in DFS because I do expect more of like a slow pace type of offense with both of these defense trying to establish themselves in a divisional rivalry type of game all right I'll circle back to Aguilar quick the only thing that would give me pause is the fact that the Jets last week played Carolina and they played Sam Darnold who you know he ended up throwing I would say probably roughly 40% of his passes to Christian McCaffrey last week. Now, DJ Moore had a pretty good game, you know, against that Jets secondary. He had six catches, 80 yards. Uh, he did have a long of 27. And Robbie Anderson, just one catch, but he had a, you know, a big bomb for 57 yards. You know, Aguilar is going to be the deep threat. Robbie Anderson, more than likely, probably the deep threat. Maybe he can get behind them. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again, you know, teams against the Jets, you know, they end up completing long bomb passes. So, it's not that I like or dislike it. 
I think it's just the data that I have from last week. Again, and, and look, it's Darnold. You know, it's Carolina. Um, they're going to use McCaffrey out of the backfield. If there were more data points for me to look at and be like, yo, he threw it to like six or seven different guys last week against his Jets defense, you know, that were wide receivers or tight ends or something like that. And I had, you know, a little bit better data, but it was just so, you know, pass heavy to McCaffrey that it gives me pause to look at the data and feel real comfortable with that particular wager. Here's the play I was going to make here, Chris, and it's not a prop play. I was putting my DFS lineup together and I'm looking at Damian Harris. I noticed he had like 23 attempts last week. He did have a hundred yards. So I plugged him in and then I noticed he had a fumble. So I'm like, let me hit Chris up, see if he thinks Damian Harris is worth putting in my DFS lineup. And a lot of that is just based on volume. You know, maybe he doesn't get a touchdown, you know, whatever the case might be, but it was more just volume based pick, but I'm worried about the fumble. You know, what do you think about Damian Harris this week? Is that a guy maybe you would plug in your DFS lineup? It, it is. Uh, it's a it's a risky play for that reason alone, right? The two coaches we fear the most when it comes to our running backs are Kyle Shanahan and Bill Belichick there, right? So that that's the concern that you have with the Damian Harris. But I will note that the, the second string running back, the rookie Ramondre Stevenson, he also lost a fumble in that game too. And if both of those guys lost fumbles, uh, I just don't see him turning the keys over to a Brandon Bolden, to a J.J. Taylor, uh, or to even a James White, because I think James White is kind of stuck in his role there. He's not going to be getting early down work that much in, in any type of game that the Patriots have. So that's how I'm looking at a guy like Damian Harris, although I do think that he does have value on this slate, because if he does get that workload again, we're talking about a much better game script uh, for the New England Patriots in this game. And that's my hesitation, because... The Patriots, I believe, you know, I do believe in the narrative of Bill Belichick knowing how to scheme his defense against a rookie quarterback. And, and that's that's my fear about playing overs on the Patriots pass catchers is that they simply might not need to throw the ball that much. Um, but what I will note with what you mentioned about the Jets last week, I wouldn't look at the at the Panthers and what they did. I think the Panthers are a unique offense. They use Christian McCaffrey more than any team uses their running back in the entire NFL, especially in the receiving game. What I would look at is, is what did the Patriots do in week one? And the Patriots in week one, Mac Jones threw the ball, his three top guys, Jacoby Myers, nine targets, Nelson Aguilar, seven targets, and James White, seven targets. And if you take away Nelson Aguilar's long catch of 25 yards, he still had four catches for guess what? 47 yards without the 25 yard gain. So he finished with 72 yards. So even taking out the long catch of 25, he still went over what the current total is of 46 and a half. So I'm still not off that bet yet. If I might make it more of a pizza bet, a pizza bet, maybe like a quarter unit, half unit bet for me on him, because I do believe that he's one of those guys, just like Corey Davis, where the, the narrative has been built into this guy against him for the last three, four years. And it might take a while for the market to catch up to that. So those are still my top, my two favorite plays on the board. And, uh, just depending on Mac Jones, I think Mac Jones is not going to be the type of quarterback that's going to you know, forcefully check it down to his running backs unless he has to in a trailing negative type of game script. Well, let me tell you my situation here with Damian Harris and my thoughts on why I plugged him in. And I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me. It's extremely hard to go ahead and put a Patriots running back in any DFS slate because you know, they usually run three, four, sometimes five guys out of the backfield. It's like you can't pick a, a guy on the Patriots. It's just so hard. But I feel like this week is probably the week that I could actually trust somebody, you know, in that Patriots backfield. 
but also Chris, it was in just a 1 p.m. slate. So it was kind of a, a little bit of a condensed schedule. And I also think, you know, with that in mind that, you know, there was value within his price. I think he was right around like $6,000. So that's kind of why I did it. I felt like we can finally trust somebody in the Patriots backfield. The volume was there. It was a condensed 1 p.m. schedule. And that's what I'm going to do with that particular game. Let's go ahead and jump over to the Rams and the Colts. Colts right now, uh, plus four at home. Total on this game, 48 and a half. Chris, I'm going with one player prop in this one. And there's nothing you are going to be able to do to talk me off of Cooper Cup over five and a half receptions. If you watch the Rams against the Bears game, you notice at Stafford and Cup that they have some type of a relationship, some type of a mojo. They look at each other. They know they're audible and in and out of plays and they just know exactly where they need to be. And I felt like in that particular game that Cup and Stafford, they just trust each other and they are going to find each other in this particular game. Now, look. I think Indianapolis has a pretty decent defense, but I just there, there's no way I don't think Cup gets you know six, only six catches. I think he's in that you know seven, eight, nine area. I think he probably gets you know twelve to fourteen targets in this particular game. They can't play that over five and a half catches for Cooper Cup minus one twenty on DraftKings. Chris, that's the play that I really like. That's the only one that I'm going to play. I feel like if I could pull one play out that I'm going to win in in each particular game, like. That's the one for this game that, that I've had my eye on for a couple of days. And a lot of it is just from what I saw. It's the relationship it has nothing to do with the numbers. It's just what I saw on the field. Those guys look like they worked a lot together throughout the off season and they just look really comfortable. It didn't look like it was the first game for those two guys. It looks like they've been playing for a while together. So I'm doing that Cooper cup over five and a half catches. No, I actually, I actually like that play a lot. It's something that I looked at as well. Um, and, and the fact that Cooper Cup, you know, he's the guy that he's the only guy that got to the double digit target mark in week one. And that was in a game where the Rams won by 20 points and they didn't even need to throw that much. And he still got that type of volume. The next highest guy in the target pecking order was Tyler Higby at six targets. And then Robert Woods, who we thought it was like, hey, who are you going to draft between Cup and Woods? I had Cup ranked higher into my in my pre-draft rankings, but it was just by a couple spots. I think most of these people had it as like that 1A, 1B receiver type situation. And by no means do I want to overreact to week one. But, uh, you know, both these guys are lined at five and a half catches, both juice minus 120 to the over on DraftKings. I'm only looking at DraftKings prop lines for this slate just because, you know, we, we have like a million things up on our screen at the same time. So just to make it easier on ourselves, you know, if you can find better juice than minus 120, by all means, look for it, shop for it. That's what we do when we make our bets, too. But minus 120 to me for Cooper Cup, that's a solid price for the five and a half, especially when you look at the history of Matthew Stafford and the receivers, you know, outside of guys like Megatron, Galladay. He has been a guy that's been very willing uh, and, and has liked to go to his slot receivers, his tight ends in those shallow type of crossing routes. But then also Cooper Cup to me, he profiles more like a Tyler Lockett to where he can get deep on the defense. And I think that when I look at projections, you know, we have Cooper Cup projected for, you know, in the high 70s in terms of receiving yards, as well as, like you said, about seven catches. So doesn't mean you automatically play the overs just because you see a 10-yard difference in projections to what the prop lines are. But I think given everything we saw in week one, and again, like, you know, week two, uh, with a new quarterback, new receiver combo, I think things can only get better. And I don't see the defense in the Indianapolis Colts 
being able to slow that connection down. So I, I, I do like that play, Sleepy. Um, people remember the double dip, uh, quadruple dip props that we cashed a lot of tickets on last year with Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. Uh, and to me, this is the this is the new Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. I'm going overs. I'm double dipping on Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Receiving yards and receptions, I'm going over for both these guys. That's four props right there. Call, call it the Colts running back quadruple dip. These are props that we gave out in our subscriber discord earlier in the week. These are props that Steve and I talked about on our Sunday night recap podcast that we said, hey, look, like, Look at what Carson Wentz is doing in this offense against the Seattle defense in week one. He, his health is clearly not 100%, and he's looking to these guys in the offense as his main go-to targets. You know, uh, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines, they accounted for a very high percentage of the targets in week one. Nearly 40% of Carson Wentz's overall targets went to his two running backs, and he was constantly under duress by Seattle's defensive line. And what do we get again in this game? We get another solid pass rush in the Rams with Aaron Donald there. So I look for more of the same with the Colts and the fact that, you know, the Colts just went out of their way to give Naheem Hines a really nice contract deal just about a week or two ago. And his prop lines came out at 22 and a half receiving yards and three and a half receptions at plus money. Uh, To me, those are those are no brainer plays. Naheem Hines in week one, eight targets first on the team. Jonathan Taylor in week one, seven targets, most on the team. These guys combined 12 catches for 108 yards. So to me, it's the offense. It's the scheme. You add to the fact that the Colts, is, the Colts offensive line is even, is even worse health shape than it was in week one going into week two. That makes me like these props even more. Jonathan Taylor, when it first opened, we gave that out to our Discord channel, 12 and a half receiving yards, two and a half receptions at plus 145. Um, the juice has gone down for Taylor, but you can still get it at plus 115. I still really like Jonathan Taylor over two and a half catches at plus 115. And Naheem Hines, you can get at plus 110 instead of plus 115. So I don't think that people have caught up to this enough yet. But given our experience in targeting these pass catching running backs in those type of situations last year, I'm buying in on this situation right now. And I think if we have a successful week here, like we did last year with the Washington running backs, these numbers are going to move in a big way going into week three. So I want to take advantage right now. The line for Naheem Hines has already moved up four yards from 22 and a half to 26 and a half. Um, my buy price originally was 25 and a half. So the fact it's 26 and a half, I would say, you know, be cautious about it. You know, when it comes to buy prices, you always want to be careful about getting the worst of a number, but I do still think there is value there. Maybe, you know, maybe three fourths of a unit, maybe a half unit compared to normal. Uh, but the catch props for these guys, the receptions, I do really like those at plus money. And then Jonathan Taylor, his receiving yards prop has gone up three yards to 15 and a half. I still do think 15 and a half is a solid play for Jonathan Taylor, who's a guy who the, the, the media narrative was baked into him last year as a guy who doesn't catch passes. And that's obviously changed given the high draft capital for him uh, being a former first round pick. I, I'm all over him expanding into a new role. And basically these two guys being like the main beneficiaries of this offense while they might have the most depleted wide receiver core in the entire league. So there's 101 reasons for me to back both these guys in the overs when it comes to the receiving game. Uh, And and those are the props I like the most by far, almost on this entire slate for week two. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, Chris. I think one of the reasons why that, that those props actually probably provide a little bit of value is the fact that 
T.Y. Hilton's not in the lineup. Michael Pittman didn't look exactly all that great. You know, I did give this prop out, Chris, on I believe maybe it was with Uncle Dave. Yeah, it was with Uncle Dave and Coach J-Rod that I went ahead and I used Jonathan Taylor over his rushing yards. Uh, right now it's up to 58 and a half. I got that at a better number, so I'm not going to give that out, but the one that I like the most, you know, for this particular podcast is Cooper Cup over his five and a half receptions. Let's jump into our next game here, Chris. Let's talk Raiders. Let's talk Steelers. Interesting. These two teams last week, the Raiders, they 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 won it, you know, basically three times. Uh, they could have lost the game. That was a, a home opener for the Raiders. The, um, the Ravens were the Sheep's play of the week. And, uh, you know, the Raiders, they, they went and did their thing. And I actually had no doubt in that. Uh, but the Steelers, you know, they go on the road. They didn't look all that good on offense at all, Chris. I mean, Big Ben had like 188 yards in that game. Uh, blocked punt for a touchdown. Really helped the Steelers out. They get a win. Maybe it was a little bit of fool's gold. They're going to be a favorite here at home, minus six and a half. Over the Raiders, we have a total of 47. My gut feeling says that this is a lower scoring game. I could be wrong on that, but that was just my initial first thought. As far as props for this particular game, I don't know how we don't look at Darren Waller in some way, shape, or form, whether you use him in DFS. Um, for obviously, you know, he's going to be a an immediate, you know, throw him in near season long. But, I mean, it, it seemed like he was like, you know, the, the only offense that they trusted. Like it was Derek Carr's, uh, you know, security blanket. So I don't know if you have anybody lined up for this particular game. I wouldn't be shocked if it was Waller just because of the amount of volume that he's getting. He's going to exceed, you know, if he ends up getting what he got last week. I mean, what did he have, like 18 targets or something crazy like that? Um, and I know the Steelers' defense is is pretty good. But so is the Ravens' defense. You know, it's pretty good defense too. So uh, it would either be messed with Waller or something for me, you know, maybe with the over. I, I just don't see how the hell they don't go to this guy, you know, as much as humanly possible. I'm going to pass. I'll listen to what you say. And then, you know, maybe, you know, maybe tomorrow or, or Sunday, maybe I'll look at some stuff with Waller, but that's what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. I think the fact that Waller actually projects as a really low ownership in week two, in terms of DraftKings ownership projections, that does make me like him even more for DFS purposes because the ceiling is there. And then you add that to the fact that this is, this is the number one mismatch um, in terms of offensive line, defensive line rankings for week two, the Steelers defensive line, uh, which I believe is ranked number one, and the Raiders offensive line right now, which is ranked number 25. Uh, they were without incognito in week one. They did move some things around to kind of patchwork that line and make things happen against the Ravens. But obviously, you know, the Ravens defense didn't do Baltimore any favors, but uh, in week two, they're also going to be without starting right guard Denzel Good. He went on injured reserve. So that's going to be at least one backup guard, maybe even two, going into the lineup this week. They signed a guy off the street named Jordan Simmons. He was off the Seahawks practice squad. So those reasons alone definitely lead me to think that Waller will be used even more than he was in week one. Uh, let, let me let me, re, let me let me rephrase that. He can't be used more than he was in week one because he had about 97 targets. I think he'll be used equally as much as he was in week one, as well as a guy like Hunter Renfro in the slot. I think this is going to be a game where the Steelers pass rush is going to get to Derek Carr fast and early in this ball game, and he's going to need to get to his blanket type of safety receivers in the short to intermediate routes of the field. So I do believe there is value on guys like Waller, uh, and Renfro, I wouldn't play Renfro in DFS, but I do think you could look 
to his overs in the prop market for him right now because he was heavily targeted in week one. And this could be a very similar type of game script and passing volume game uh, for the Raiders offense right now. Hunter Renfro, you can get at over three and a half catches. You know, DK knows what they're doing. It's minus 145 right now. So it's it's very tough to, to, to eat the juice on plays like that, where Renfro's what, maybe the fourth best option in that receiving game. But given everything that's going on, uh, you know, obviously with Josh Jacobs not being in the mix either, uh, you could look to a guy like Kenyon Drake. Uh, the only question with Drake that I have, I was like, I wanted to look to his over receiving props once Jacobs was ruled out. But it's very possible that the Raiders simply slide Drake into the Jacobs role, and then they use a third string. Uh, they use a third down passing back in, in that type of role. I don't know if Drake's going to be all of a sudden every down back in that offense just because Jacobs isn't there. Uh, you could see, you know, obviously Rashard's on IR, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they still have Theo Riddick on the roster or another similar type of player that they could throw in there. So that's something I, I'm going to have my eye on to see what the coach speak out of Las Vegas is going into this weekend. Uh, but those are the places I'm looking overall. And another prop that I actually do like a lot is uh, I like Chase, uh, Chase Claypool to go over his receiving yards uh, in week two. This is, this is a, a defense in the Raiders that, that allowed some big shots down the field uh, to not the best of uh, passing quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson. I don't want to give the guy too much, you know, too much crap, but, He's in the bottom tier of the league in terms of his accuracy throwing down the field. And as much as Big Ben has been the butt of jokes over the last two seasons, I still believe he's a much better passer down the field than Lamar Jackson. And Chase Claypool is clearly, that's his role in this offense. So to me, when you look at the matchup, Steelers coming back at home, even though they won week one, this is like a get right spot for their offense. So the most explosive player down the field uh, in a good matchup at home in week two, Claypool, 45 and a half yards to me. There's clear value on that number. And the fact that he was being shadowed by Tredavious White and lined up against White for a majority of week one. So it was already going to be a tough game for him. I had to temper my week, uh, my fantasy rankings because of that. But the fact is, Deontay Johnson's got 20. He's at 67 and a half. Juju's at 52 and a half. Claypool's at 45 and a half. I think these guys should be all lined a lot more closer together than what the prop market's uh, showing us right now. So that's my favorite prop for this game. And then again, I'm trying to sift through the news, uh, sift through the coach speak to see like how much value is there really uh, in terms of Kenyon Drake? Like what role is he going to have? Because I think there could be value in Waller in Renfro and Drake when it comes to this passing attack in terms of being the top three guys uh, come Sunday. I think if Drake's in there, Chris, I think that severely limits the rushing attack playbook that the Raiders can go ahead and throw out there. And with Josh Jacobs not being in the game, my gut feeling is like it's going to be a pass-happy offense here probably for the Raiders. Now, Chris doesn't like these when I give these out, but I think Waller to score a touchdown actually has some value. You can get it at plus 125. Now, you mentioned he had a million targets last week. I mean, he had 19. He had 10 catches. He was over 100 yards. So I think there's a really good chance, you know, if they get down near that red zone, like you had mentioned, Carr's going to look for his security blanket. And I don't see why we don't play Waller to go ahead and score a touchdown in this game. I'll play him over his six and a half receptions. I feel pretty good with that. I think even if, you know, I I mean, you got to figure he was only like, what, 50% to him last week. And there were some, you know, pretty crummy balls that, that Carr was actually trying to get to get to Waller. Maybe this week with another week of, you know, practice repetition, maybe they 
you know, get the plays in the playbook that that's going to be able to get Waller the ball. So I'll go ahead. I'll do that. I'll play him over six and a half receptions. You feel pretty good about Waller this week. I do too, but I'm also going to plug in him to go ahead and score a touchdown, Chris. And it's funny because he's actually the number one guy on the list for the Raiders to go ahead and score a touchdown in this particular game. So we'll go ahead. We'll do that. Let's jump over to Saints and the Panthers. New Orleans absolutely destroyed my Green Bay Packers last week. I mean, you want to talk about feeling like you had your heart ripped out. I mean, it was it was pretty dejecting. I will tell you that probably 99% of anybody watching football last week, except for probably those diehard Saint fans that are somewhat brainwashed, nobody expected that to happen uh, to Green Bay. So I don't know what everybody thinks about this particular game, but I do like the Panthers. There were three and a halves out there. I went ahead. I bet them. Right now, Panthers on DraftKings are getting plus three. So it seems like that hook is gone. Total right now, 44 and a half. I'll let you go first, Chris, on this one. I really don't like a whole lot in this particular game. I think the Saints probably regress back to who we might think that they you know, were. So um, I don't know. Is it just a McCaffrey thing? I mean, he just had so much volume last week. And uh, maybe that's what we kind of look at. I don't know. What are you thinking? Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say is is Christian McCaffrey to me. There's clear value on him uh, when you look at what he did last week. You know, we're like, OK, well, week one or the Panther are the Panthers really going to ride him into the ground? And it's like, yeah, like that's the player he is. And this is what you do. If you're uh, even a semi sharp football organization, you're going to use your running backs as much as possible and get as much as you can out of them, because, you know, you know, as much as we some of us don't want to agree with it for some of our favorite players, this is the most replaceable position in the NFL. And the fact is the Panthers have one of the most irreplaceable running backs in the league that can be used in a variety of ways, like in the passing game specifically. So to me, Christian McCaffrey, I mean, you saw him nine targets. The next highest guy was DJ Moore with eight. The next highest guy, Sleepy, was the rookie Terrace Marshall with six targets. And that was one of the props that we gave out earlier in our subscriber discord was, Terrace Marshall over two and a half receptions. Uh, it, the juice wasn't the greatest, minus 135, but Sleepy, since the day we gave that out, I'm not saying, you know, there's other people on this besides us. I'm not saying we moved this like this, but this prop has not been available all week since we gave that out. And I just want people to keep an eye out on their sports book uh, for when they add back, because they should. Any sports book should not leave certain players off the board. Like, this is something that like I could rant on for a long time. Once we get to the Broncos game, trust me, like that's the main issue I have. Like the books do not have any props on Javante Williams available, but they have books on all the other running backs in the game. It's 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 really shady stuff to me, to be honest, that's going on with that, even though I do give DraftKings credit for getting these lines out early in the week. But Terrace Marshall over two and a half receptions, the fact he got six targets in his first ever NFL game. And you're looking at a tougher defense that's going to put a lot more pressure on Sam Darnold than the Jets were able to do. So if you do see that number pop back up, I would be all over that. That's something we gave out earlier in the week to our premium subscribers on our Discord channel. Uh, and then Christian McCaffrey, I don't, I don't, I don't know what what it is about week two, but I'm finding myself. I feel like you know maybe a little less than half of my prop bets, honestly, they're on running backs to catch passes. And I think this is something that we're seeing as a new trend in the league to where you're not seeing these old school ground and pound coaches just slamming their backs into the back of the offensive line 
for one, two, three yard games. Like we're in 2021, the modern era, the passing era of the league. And it's smart to use your running backs in the passing games. And that was another prop I forgot to mention in the first game was Miles Sanders. Like we gave him out over 16 and a half receiving yards. He had five targets in that game. I look for him to be involved again, unless all of a sudden he has three drops in a row, then you're going to see your boy Kenneth Gainwell take over, but not to stray too far away. I really like Christian McCaffrey over his receiving yards prop for this game. Again, these are lines that, you know, last year, Sleepy, we did this podcast on Friday night because the the lines didn't come out till Friday, right? Like even some cases last week, last year, don't you remember, like we weren't even getting lines until Saturday. We were sitting here doing the podcast and we couldn't even talk about half the games. In week two so far, completely different story. We might have to start doing this podcast on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays now. So we're trying to figure that out behind the scenes because when I when I wanted to give out these props and gave them out to our premium subscribers, I gave out Christian McCaffrey over five and a half catches. Now it's over six and a half at plus money. I also gave him out over 40 and a half receiving yards. I believe now it's at 43 and a half receiving yards. So you want to get the best of, or it's, I'm sorry, it's at 45 and a half. So um, you want to get the best of these numbers. And when you look at what McCaffrey has done against the Saints defense throughout his career, like the last three plus seasons, he's had multiple receiving games of like a hundred plus yards, 10 plus target games. So this is a matchup that works well for him. And I think the Saints are, are, are more than happy taking away the deep threats and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And you know what? Let Sam Darnold check it down 20 times to McCaffrey because you're not going to beat us that way. But we can take advantage of that in the prop market and in the DFS market, which I think Christian McCaffrey, obviously a healthy CMC in on DraftKings, which is full point PPR. He's a great value no matter what price, what price he is every single week. So that's my favorite prop uh, combo double dip prop on McCaffrey in addition to Marshall over two and a half whenever they put that line back up on the board. Well, let me bring up something really quick, Chris, that I have to probably smooth out a little bit so the listeners kind of understand. Now, you mentioned the books and, and taking props down and things like that. That's going to happen. And it's not that the books are, are being shady. It's that they run a business and they don't want to get clocked because there's guys like you out there, you know, and you yourself, you know, you fall into that category. Guys who are super sharp with stuff like this and that watch this stuff every single day. And they're getting the reports, they're looking at this, they're looking at that, and they're like, that's a bad number. Bet, 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 bet. Well, they just got clobbered for 10 bets on the same guy, you know, for 10 grand. Well, now they have a pretty big liability. So what the books are going to do, they're going to say, take that down before we end up, you know, with like twenty five dollars or $50,000 liability. Let's let the market go ahead and smooth itself out with this particular guy. Maybe his right number you know, is, is 43 or, or 65 or 78 or whatever it might be. And they're going to say, all right, let's put it up now and see what happens. Let's see if we can get some buyback, you know, with this particular guy or get people to actually, you know, you know, bet against them. So um, the books are just doing their job to protect themselves from, you know, ending up completely lopsided. Do they do shady things, Chris? Yes, they do. But are there times where you look and you're just like, eh, why don't they have this guy up? Well, Chris, you and I both know, when it comes to Williams, we talked about him last week on the podcast that you and I were both going to target him going into week two. So is it a surprise he's not up there? No, because we were talking about it a week ago. So we're ahead of the market. You're ahead of the market. As Chris said, you know, we might have to do this podcast a little bit early because by the time Friday or Saturday comes, you know, some of the wagers that were given out, and if you guys aren't premium subscribers, 
then you're probably not on our discord. You're not seeing Chris give out, you know, lines that are coming out that let's just say that they're bad. You guys can go ahead and bet them. And guess what? You know, the betting predator crew, the discord channel, guys like Chris and myself, we're the guys moving the numbers. We're pushing them. We're helping the books out uh, in some way, shape or form that we're letting them know, hey, you guys got some pretty crummy numbers here. And we're going to have us and our crew going ahead and betting into them. Chris, I will bring up one thing here with McCaffrey. If you go back to last week, I mean, he was basically 50% of the offense. And I was looking for touchdown scores, you know, I, you know how much I like those guys. And they don't have them. But what they do have, Carolina Panthers' first touchdown score. So if I can go ahead and pick the right Carolina Panther to score first, I'm going to get some pretty decent money. Christian McCaffrey right now, Chris, is plus 450. If he's getting 50% of the offense in this Carolina Panther offense, then why don't I just play that? I think McCaffrey stands a good chance to be the first guy on Carolina to go ahead and score a touchdown if he's getting 50% of the offense at plus 450. So uh, I'll go ahead. I'll pizza bet that. I think those are pretty good odds for a guy, you know, who's getting 50% of the production in that particular offense. I'm sorry. Just one, one last note on that is if you look back to McCaffrey, you have to go back. Obviously he didn't play the saints last year and the few games he played, he didn't play new Orleans. But the last two games he played them two seasons ago in 2019, he had 10 targets, seven catches, 72 yards. The game before that, nine catches, nine targets, 69 yards. Then you go back the year before against them. The first game of the season against the New Orleans Saints, he had 11 targets, eight catches, 67 yards. So this is a guy who has been absolutely funneled targets playing against this defense even his first playoff game his only playoff game in 2017 before he was really the back that he was eight targets six catches 101 yards and then when you look at what he did uh you know just everything since then it's been sky high and and let me throw out like the one game in between his rookie season he did he, he he didn't get the overs but the first game of his rookie season, the first time he ever played the Saints, 11 targets, 9 catches, 101 yards. We have him projected in like the mid to high 50s in receiving yards, and the line we gave out was 40 and a half. The line right now is 45 and a half. Like a five-point increase in the line yard-wise is pretty high, and it's not an auto bet just because the, the projection difference is 10 yards, but there is still clear value on that. And he's exceeded this number with ease throughout his four year career in the NFL playing against this team. So that's more than enough of a sample size to me to back both props. You know, if you see a five and a half again, I would back that Uh, the six and a half, probably too much for me when it comes to receptions. That's why it's juiced to plus one fifteen. But I think the yardage is where you can still attack despite what the numbers have moved to. He had 30 touches last week, Chris, he had nine catches for 89 yards. 21 rushes for 98 yards. And one of the reasons why I feel like McCaffrey probably could be the guy to get, you know, the first touchdown for the Panthers is the fact that he didn't even score a touchdown last week after all that production, you know, he, he obviously he helped out his fantasy guys, but boy, imagine if he would have put two touchdowns on the board for them with all that production, Uh, the fantasy guys would have been, you know, extremely happy. Let's jump over to your team here, Chris, the Cincinnati Bengals. They weren't the bungles last week, Chris, they were the Bengals. They went ahead. They got you a win. Joe Burrow looked pretty good. Jamar Chase uh, didn't drop a pass. I don't know if you saw the interview, Chris, but your boy, Joe Burrow, stepped right up to the podium and he says, oh, I thought he drops passes. And he didn't say, and he just, you know, 
sat there and stared at the media like, you know, thanks for, you know, thanks for pissing us off. Uh, everything looked pretty good. But they're going to go ahead. They're going to play the Bears, and they're going to be on the road this week. I think it might be a little bit of a different situation here for Cincinnati, but the Bears are going to be a little bit of a favorite here. Minus two and a half, total 45. I'll tell you right now, Chris, I love the over in this particular game because I don't trust the Bears defense and I don't trust the Bengals defense. Matt Stafford last week shredded the Bears in the air. I mean, their their number three wide receiver in Jefferson had a really good game. You know, we already talked about Cup and Woods. I don't see how the Bears slow down the Bengals. And the Bengals defense, we saw what happened to them. So over 45 for me is is probably going to be one of my strongest wagers um, of the week in the NFL. I haven't put any props together. I have not had a chance to get into this game uh, as far as player props are concerned. But the over is the way to go. I think we see a ton of points in this game. I think the reason why, you know, that this game is probably aligned in 45 is the fact that People are still living off of the Bears and thinking that that Bears defense is, you know, very, very good. Well, I could tell you what I saw the other night against Matt Stafford. It's not good. The secondary is not that good at all. And the Bengals defense is not good. Maybe they're just thinking the Bengals won't score a ton of points. But look, you have a running back in Montgomery who did really well last week. I want to say, Chris, probably one of his top 10 games in his career. And we could say the same on the flip side for Joe Mixon. He probably had one of his top 10 or top five games of his career. So I think the running game gets going. I think all the receivers are going. The quarterbacks are going, even guys like Dalton and Burrow. I love the over in this one. So I'm giving that out to you guys over to Cincinnati Bengals and Chicago Bears over the 45. Chris, talk me in any play because I'll probably buy in on anybody that you're on for this particular game. Yeah, I mean, I'm all over Jamar Chase. I gave it out earlier in the week in our subscriber Discord channel. I believe the the opening line was 54 and a half. Uh, it's moved up two yards, so nothing crazy. Uh, I still think there's value on the over at 56 and a half, minus 125, juice of the over even. Uh, we've got him projected, you know, in the high 60s in terms of yardage. And frankly, that could be a very modest projection because he's a rookie. He's in his second career game, but nothing that the Bears defense showed me in week one, nothing that Jamar Chase showed me in week one or Burrow for that matter, or even the Bengals offensive line, like all those factors involved, none have like shied me away from that, from going back to it in week two. And it, yeah, he did catch a 50 yard touchdown, but he profiled as, you know, a, a, a very electric, you know, big playmaking type of receiver coming out of college, similar to what Justin Jefferson Jefferson showed last year with the Vikings. So Jamar Chase to me, again, Rookie rookie receiver with his former college quarterback, just like as we talked about with Jalen Waddell uh, in, the, in the Dolphins game. So Jamar Chase, to me, uh, th- this is a clear case of like Burrow, that's his guy. You know, as much as T. Higgins was the guy last year, I think that if, if you drafted Higgins higher than Chase, and trust me, I did. I had Higgins ranked higher than Chase, and I, I thought the process was solid with that. But the, the issue we had with Chase is like, the drops were never what concerned me with Chase. The, the the thing that concerned me the most is the fact that he didn't play football last year. If he didn't play football, college football, in a whole year and comes out in his first ever game with the quarterback coming off an ACL injury with what's supposed to be one of the worst offensive lines in the league and puts up 100-plus yards, like this guy could be everything the prospects said he would be and more. So I'm going to buy into that. If that's even halfway true – his player prop line should not be in the mid fifties for yardage. So I'm all over Jamar chase. You know, I gave it out at 54 and a half. It's at 56 and a half. 
I'd even play it over 58 and a half, even 59 and a half. Like it's, it, to me, it's just, it, you, you get into semantics when you're talking about buy prices with a guy like this, that's so explosive like he is. So Jamar Chase over receiving yards to me, big play threat waiting to happen, but also being used in other areas of the field. Um, other than that, to me, like Allen Robinson, man, like, you know, people forget how good Allen Robinson is because he's probably been the unluckiest receiver in the NFL with the quarterbacks that he's played for. Even, you know, last week it was a given, like he was not going to have a good game. I think I had him ranked around wide receiver 30 because of the matchup with Jalen Ramsey and the fact Andy Dalton was going to be thrown in the ball. But this week he plays against the Bengals and over five and a half catches to me, like we gave this out at minus 120 earlier in the week. It's now at minus 145 on DraftKings. Like, again, it's very tough to eat that type of juice. It sucks, but there's clear value juice aside on over five and a half catches for Allen Robinson in a much better matchup where I don't care if Dalton's playing or Justin Fields comes in at halftime. He's the number one guy in that offense. He's going to get open. He's going to separate from whoever's defending him on the Bengals side of things. So I really do like Allen Robinson over five and a half. If things start going right for Allen Robinson and he's not playing Jalen Ramsey every week, he's going to be a guy that's easily lined six and a half, maybe even seven and a half catches similar to a guy like Keenan Allen, uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit. So I like Allen Robinson as well over five and a half. Uh, the only other guys to me that I would consider for DFS would be a T Higgins. Um, because again, like he got banged up last week. He came back in the game, didn't have a huge fantasy outing. There is still a lot of potential there for him being in the one, a one B role with chase. Uh, and then Joe Mixon, I think rushing yards for Joe Mixon, 66 and a half. That's a prop we liked at 64 and a half earlier in the week. I still think there's a lot of value on him for the guy who had 23 carries for like 120 yards last week. He only needs half of that this week to pay off against the Bears running defense that really isn't all that good that, that Daryl Henderson had his way with last week. So I, I do like that prop as well. I kind of like the Mixon rushing and receiving prop over. Uh, right now it's like 93 and a half, but he got four catches last week, four targets. He caught every pass that he had. I kind of lean a little bit over him. But Chris, I do have to ask you, because you are a Bengals fan. And, you know, one of the things that we want to make sure is that, you know, we give it absolute clarity, uh, absolute honesty. I do have to ask you, though, how much of your bias, because you are a Bengals fan, how much bias, and just give me a percentage, you know, from one to 100%, you know, how much of your bias is built into Jamar Chase is is there any bias at all involved with that particular play honestly uh, can I go below zero because I think it's like a negative 20 like I'm a I'm as like pessimistic as you were trying to talk me in on our podcast last week of even like being optimistic about the Bengals this year so trust me I don't think the Bengals are a playoff team I I, I just don't I, I don't believe in the coach yet he hasn't proven it I don't believe that Burrow's 100% healthy yet he hasn't proven it either I don't believe the offensive line is good enough to keep their quarterback healthy. But what I do believe, and it's not me watching the tape. It's not me watching the game. It's what like the, the most trusted scouting prospects in college football have said about Jamar Chase over the last year, year and a half before the draft. What they've said about him is that there has not been a receiver in the last almost 10 years that has profiled as high of an upside as Chase. And the fact that he came out and did it in week one despite the drop narrative, despite the fact he didn't play football for an entire year in college, and he did that, that's why I'm in on him. It has nothing to do. If anything, my Bengals fandom is holding me back to how good this guy really could be. Well, you did speak the truth there, Chris. I did try to talk you into Cincinnati and, and telling you that that 
just have a little bit of faith, you know, have a little faith in Joe Burrow. And although you don't think that they, that, you know, that they're going to make the playoffs, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out, Chris. I think that this team is actually in a very, you know, weird position. Like let's say they win this week. Well, they start the season out two and oh, and let's not run through the gambit of the schedule that they have, but they do have some easy games that they can win. I mean, they have to play the Jaguars, the lions, the jets, the Raiders. I mean, there are wins on their schedule. Here's one of the things that I think about Cincinnati that they're going to end up thinking each and every week. We have an offense that can go ahead and generate points, generate yards. We just need to win the turnover battles. We need to play clean. We got to stop the penalties. Got to try to keep Joe Burrow up. But I think it's going to be a team that just has a lot of grit, a lot of fight in them for four full quarters. And they know if they could play that particular way. I'm not talking that they have to play amazing on defense every week. They just need to be gritty. They need to grind the games out. They need to give Burrow and that wide receiver core and somebody like Joe Mixon, who had a fantastic game last week. They just need to give them a chance, and they're going to win games, and they're going to beat teams that a lot of te- a lot of people probably don't think you know that they can beat. And a lot of people didn't think that they could beat Minnesota last week. And guess what? You know what? They did. They beat Minnesota last week. Right now, the Bengals are supposed to be 0-1 going on the road, and instead, you know, they could be going 2-0. So. I wouldn't rule the Bengals out from being a, a real dark horse playoff team just because I think it's built in to probably their minds to just have a lot of grit, a lot of grind, play dirty, play tough, and we can win games that we're not supposed to win. So again here, Chris, I am giving your your Bengals some some props and giving you a little bit of hope. I'm not down on that team at all. Here's a team I am down on, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They were absolutely pathetic last week. Another team that was supposed to go ahead and win last week. Uh, They didn't do that. They got blown out by Houston. Jacksonville, they're going to be at home here, plus the six points against the Denver Broncos, my number one defense currently in the league. We have a total, Chris, over and under of 45. Not sure what you think about this particular game. We already talked about Williams. We were looking at him. We were talking about him last week. Unfortunately, there aren't any props available. I mean, you guys are really going to have to search. But, Chris, I'll go ahead. I'll throw it over to you. We know Jerry Judy's out. What is that going to do to this Broncos offense? I think it's going to have them rely more on the run, even more so than they did in week one, where they had a healthy lead and a positive game script. And you saw both uh, Javante Williams, the rookie, in his first career game get double-digit carries, uh, even more carries than Melvin Gordon, even though Melvin Gordon stole the show in fantasy with a 70-yard touchdown, uh, which is something you just simply can't rely on from week to week. Um I am very willing to play Javante Williams as a GPP DraftKings tournament uh, running back as my RB2 this week because he's super cheap and he's still got the freaking logo instead of his picture on DraftKings. Like that's how new of a guy this is to the NFL, right? Like he doesn't even have his picture on DraftKings yet. It's just the Broncos logo there. So I think that at his price tag on DraftKings, he's a tremendous value play. Uh, He's the guy that, again, last week, that was one of our favorite bets by far, was him over his carries. I think it was at like, I don't know, was it six and a half or seven? Just something crazy. Um, And the line, apparently the line came out earlier. This is what I said earlier about the books being like shady with this, is that they're offering all these props on Gordon, but like they're basically giving you like, hey, here's what you can bet. But there are some people out there that are going to the prop boards and betting this stuff that don't know better that, like, Javante's there. Or, like, oh, hey, the only running back for the Broncos, like, I'm going to bet him over. Like, I'm not saying that most people would do that, but 
I'm, I'm sure that there are some people that don't know the full story of like what's going on in that backfield. And the fact is, is that we have Javante Williams projected for close to 15 carries in this game. This could be one of the biggest blowouts of week two. Uh, no Judy means they're going to rely more on their defense. They're going to rely more on their run game. And I heard earlier this week, I put this in our discord. Like I saw someone tweet out uh, the Javante Williams over under carries prop was eight and a half. And I went to go back to Twitter to double check. Cause as, as soon as I saw that, that person tweet that I went and checked and the line wasn't there. And then I went back to that person's tweet and that person deleted their tweet. So I'm like, how long was that line even there? Like, this is like a freaking like fantasy football player prop urban legend. Like, where is this line? Was it ever up in the first place? Like, I don't know what the hell is going on, but I do know that whenever it goes back up, it will not be high enough. I guarantee you it's going to be like nine and a half, 10 and a half, 11 and a half. I don't care. I'm betting the over on any of those numbers right there. Because again, we haven't projected to close to 15 carries in this game. And I just, there's no way that the books are going to put out a 13 and a half carries for this guy. It's not happening in a week two. If it does, I will personally admit I was wrong and I will be shocked. So all I can say is keep your eye. That is one of my top, probably top five, six favorite player props. In addition to the Colts running backs I talked about earlier uh, for this week. So uh, I'm waiting to bet it. A lot of people I know are waiting to bet it. Uh, when will DK have the balls to actually put it out? You know, if they're if they're scared to put it out, then put it out at 14 and a half. Like what what's you know, what's the deal? Like you don't have to wait this long. That that's what pisses me off. And like, you know, you can put out the number and you know what? Take action on the under. Like, then you're putting out a fair number. So there's just no reason why they have to wait this long. And if they're gonna be offering all these derivatives on Gordon, they they, they should be honest about what what the total options are on the plate. Same thing with the Terrace Marshall prop. They they took it down at two and a half. Like if you think you're getting too much action on the over and you have liability, give out four and a half. Let people buy back the under. You know what I mean? I, I just wish we'd see a little bit more of that. I think they're taking way too long to re-put these numbers back on the board. Well, you know, when it comes to the shady stuff, Chris, it's, you know, they're giving you the option to only bet one guy. So they're hoping and praying that they're like, all right, well, you know, we took five, ten grand on this particular guy. We feel that we're extremely wrong. Well, if we're extremely wrong on this guy, well, then we'll leave him up. And hopefully everybody bets him over. And if everybody was right on the first guy, well, they're going to be wrong on the second guy. So that's one way that they're going to try to go ahead and even their stuff out. I ended up using Williams in my flex. I, I figured, you know what, why not? Because you and I were extremely high in him. I think he probably gets more work. And a lot of it goes back to last week's podcast. Melvin Gordon specifically said he starts out the season really rough. And then later on in the year, he ends up picking it up. So I think you're going to see kind of, you know, not only is it going to be a 50-50 kind of committee thing here, but I think you're going to see one running back at all the action one week and then another one get it the next week. I think they're going to switch. And it's not going to be like this competition. It's going to be like, you know what? You know, we're like a thunder and lightning kind of backfield where these two guys are working together. They're getting their reps each and every week. One guy gets more one week. One guy gets another, you know, the next week. And you and I were talking last week. We both felt that Williams was going to go ahead and pick up you know, a lot of carries this particular week. So uh, I like that. Let's jump over to the Falcons, Chris, and the Buccaneers. Podcast running along. We still got a couple games here to get to. Buccaneers going to be at home minus 12 and a half, total 51. I'll throw it right over to you. What are you thinking? Yeah, so the Falcons and the Bucks. Th this is a game where, you know, we talked about this earlier in the week. We brought it up in our Discord, and, like, our Discord's not about just giving out prop bets. We give out prop bets. We give out live props. We give out – 
a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, we have premium articles that come out every week from myself, yourself, from Steve Reeder, who does our power readings. He does look ahead lines, etc. cetera. Uh, I do our DFS top plays for every slate. Um, so we, we've got tons of stuff coming out in the Discord. But what one channel we also have dedicated on the Discord to is fantasy. And talking about DFS for this game, what I've noticed is, is that a lot of people are going to be lower on this game than they should be because they're scared of the train wreck of an offense that they saw in week one from Atlanta. And I think that we can take advantage of that. Trust me, Atlanta looked like shit. You know, sorry, excuse me for my French on this podcast here, but their offense looked terrible in week one. But you know what that does in DFS? It provides us with a buying opportunity on guys who have a clear ceiling who could give us really low ownership that we could take advantage of and get an advantage on the rest of our competition in DFS tournaments this week. And that's the Falcons. Like the Buccaneers, like they're passing at one of the highest rates in the entire NFL. And they were going against one of the worst secondaries in the league in week two. So Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, those are two guys that I've had circled all week. Uh, Sleepy, there's just so many props that I like this week. I'm just having a hard time making my way down the board. I think if you combine all the options out there, there's like over a hundred a thousand props available uh, total for the entire slate this week. So uh, Antonio Brown, to me, I think there's clear value in the fact, as well as Chris Godwin, where we've got Chris Godwin projected for the most receiving yards on this team. Uh, but when you look at the prop lines, like I don't think he's lined necessarily correctly overall uh, when it comes to DraftKings and what they have for this game. So I think this is another game where look, look, look what the Bucks did against the Cowboys. They threw it all over them, you know. And I think you could see a similar thing play out here to where Chris Godwin, sixty-eight and a half receiving yards. Antonio Brown is now the highest lined wide receiver in this game, Sleepy. I, I think that you've I think you might like Mike Evans here too, but I'll let you touch on that in a second. But to me, Chris Godwin should be the number one line receiver. Uh, I understand that the breakout for Antonio Brown, like that could be a real thing. Um, But maybe it's more of a 1A, 1B, as opposed to Antonio Brown being like the clear-cut dominant receiver he's been in the past. I just want to remind people this, because obviously Antonio, I believe Antonio Brown's receiving yard has been bet up by like 10 yards in the last three days. Uh, Antonio Brown, he had about 74 receiving yards in week one outside of his long gain of 47 yards. Antonio Brown finished the game with seven targets. You know what Chris Godwin finished the game with sleepy 14 freaking targets. So I'm going to bet on the guy who had double the amount of targets as Brown did and his receiving prop line is lower. So the fact I had these guys circled earlier in the week and now we're making our way back around to finishing our prop cards. Like to me, the clear value now is on Godwin 68 and a half. Uh, Mike Evans, to me, I've never been a fan fantasy-wise because he has to score touchdowns to provide value like 90% of the time. And you know me when it comes to touchdowns. Like, I don't try to predict them. Just too difficult. You make very good cases with the Waller stuff you mentioned earlier with his value on the touchdown prop. I don't think I've ever bet a touchdown prop other than like a revenge game narrative type of thing. So uh, that all goes to say, to me, clear value on Chris Godwin here. Uh I'm afraid to bet overs on the the Falcons, but the market hasn't really overreacted. Like they've still got Calvin Ridley at 84 and a half. Uh, They still got, they still have Kyle Pitts at 48 and a half. Although that has been steamed up from like about 39 and a half when it first opened. Um, 
I just have a hard time. I'm, I'm probably being a square here. Like I'm having a hard time trusting Arthur Smith, Falcons O-line, Matt Ryan to put together a competent game plan and performance. And until I see it, I'm probably not going to bet on it. That might be my mistake, but maybe that, maybe I'm overreacting to that too, but, but that's hard for me to see. But what I am going to buy in on is the bucks and the bucks are going to throw it on everyone this year because their running backs are pretty bad. Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, they drop passes every game. They fumble the ball every game, but they're still going to be the two guys back there. Like Gio Bernard clearly is not going to play a big role in that offense, at least not right now. So where I can look is Brady. I trust Brady. No matter how old he is, he's going to sling it, and he's got maybe the best weapons in the league in terms of wide receiver core down to the tight end position. So to me, again, Chris Godwin should be the highest rated receiver in the prop market. He's not. So I think there's clear value on him to bet his over 68 and a half receiving yards after a 14 target game. Let's break this down. Let's go back to last week. Last week's props came out Antonio Brown, 49 and a half receiving yards. I give that out immediately. I'm like, there's no way that this guy should be 49 yards. It went up. Everybody and their mother was on that after I had mentioned it. I'm not saying they got it from me, but I'm just saying, you know, the guys who were in this particular market, you know, they're all looking at it going, this is wrong. And, and you know what? They were right. It was wrong. I think Chris even, you know, you even mentioned Antonio Brown overs. But you're taking the guy that was at 49 and a half. You're now moving him up to 70 and a half. There's no value in that for me, particularly. I don't think there's any value in that. Now, if you look at Godwin last week and Mike Evans, they were like one and two, depending on which book you were at. I think one of them was was at 57 and the other one was at like 54. Well, now Mike Evans is clearly they're saying the market is saying that he's the number three wide receiver in this offense. And that's all fine and dandy. Maybe he is. But here's what I know about Tom Brady. He's going to throw the ball a lot this particular season. He wants to break records. So I'll give you the over 311 in passing yards. I think Brady goes for close to 400 in this game, if not more. But the reason why I like Mike Evans particularly in this game, go back to last week. Chris Godwin got a lot of targets. Gronkowski, a lot of targets. There's so many guys in this offense that they have to feed every player. Otherwise, somebody's going to get discouraged. Somebody's going to get pissed off. Not only are they two deep, three deep, this team's like four deep at the skill positions. And who's one of their best players? Mike Evans. Well, he didn't get a whole lot of action last week. He's going to be their number one target this week. I'd be willing to bet that. So I'm taking him over his receiving yards at 54 and I'm playing probably a two-star play on his over receptions which right now is at four and a half I think Evans gets close to six seven catches in this game I think Brady goes to him a lot but I think you know with Chris said this is going to be a pass happy offense what's the sense of running against Atlanta and although it might turn into some type of a negative game script I don't think Brady cares Brady wants numbers and if he's in charge out there he's throwing the football to Antonio Brown, to Godwin, and Mike Evans. Mike Evans is going to go over his two props here. The market has readjusted in in kind of an extreme way in favor of Antonio Brown, but that's not in favor of us, the betters. We had her in favor last week with Antonio Brown, you know, getting him at, at 49 and a half and, and 54 and a half. There's no real value in that for me. Now the value is in Mike Evans because they will spread the ball to make sure that everybody's happy in this particular offense. That's why they ended up with 22 players coming back to play for this team because there was probably some type of a negotiation between all these guys. Like, look, you're all going to eat. You're going to get your rings. And when it comes time for you guys to contract up, 
Maybe you're not with Tampa Bay. Maybe you're with another team, but you're going to get paid because you got rings and you got the yardage. With all that said, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and shift out of that game. Let's jump over to Minnesota and Arizona. Arizona, they're going to be minus four. Impressive team last week there, Chris. They beat up on Tennessee. I don't think a lot of people saw that particular result coming. Minnesota Vikings, they'll be plus four here on the road. Total 50 and a half. I'm guessing you probably think some points here are going to be scored, Chris. What do you think about that game? Yeah, uh, some points to say the least, actually. And I'm going in, and uh, to me, what we talked about in the last game, was it clear like you have the top-tier pecking order in terms of like you know who Brady's throwing the ball to, right? He's got three receivers, and he has the tight end in Gronkowski, and obviously the running backs as well. Uh, You know, who does Kyler Murray and – and Kirk Cousins have in this game. This is a game that projects in terms of overall pace very well for DFS purposes because of the amount of plays that the Cardinals run week in and week out. This is dating back to last year. But what the positive we saw in week one is that we can't joke around and call this the horizontal air raid attack like we did last year. Like the Cardinals actually pushed the ball down the field. I was impressed by that. Like credit to Kingsbury, credit to Murray. Maybe they designed the offense last year around Murray because he wasn't as willing to push the ball down the field. And you saw Rondale Moore, a guy where like we talked about this sleepy. You remember last week on our money packs on our money picks podcast uh, in week one, uh, this was my favorite prop. This is the first prop I gave out to our discord channel last week was Rondale Moore over two and a half catches. He finishes with four catches, but I thought he'd have like 30 yards because he'd be like a gadget slot guy screens, etc. He was actually targeted down the field more than I thought. And even though his routes run weren't very high, his targets per route run were extraordinary. This guy ran like 15 routes in week one, and he got targeted on 25% of his routes or more than that. That's an elite number. And when you get targeted at that amount, you know, five targets, you know, whatever, it doesn't seem like much in the final box score. But when you look at a guy that gets five targets on 15 routes, then you're like, okay, something's happening here. So what I'm going to look for is like, who's the guy that's going to be the odd man left out? Because Christian Kirk had a resurgent game. He's still a young player with a lot of talent. Rondale Moore flashed his ability as well. And now we're going into week two, and and what I'm assuming is going to be a much more competitive matchup because the Vikings are going to have their backs against the wall. They're coming in here 0-1. The Cardinals are 1-0. And to me, A.J. Green, man, like I've seen this guy play for a long time. I've got his jersey in my closet as a Bengals fan. But A.J. Green's done, bro. Like, A.J. Green is done. And this is one, I, you know, this is one of the bets that if I lose, I'm 100% happy because the process was right. A.J. Green under 41.5 receiving yards. We're talking about the most inefficient wide receiver in the NFL last year. The fact that this past week in week one, this guy had a solid amount of targets and was barely even able to get to half this total in the yardage in a game, Sleepy, where the Cardinals scored 38 points. A.J. Green had six targets. You know what he turned that into? Two catches for 25 yards. This guy, last year with the Bengals, was getting targets at almost the same rate with Burrow, and he was pulling in the same type of stat lines week in and week out. You know, sometimes you build yourself a reputation for what you did earlier in your career, and sometimes that reputation outlasts itself. And credit to A.J. Green, because at one point in his, in his career, he was a great receiver. I will admit that. I was a fan. But 
The fact is he sat out so much time over the last couple of years with his injuries and he does not have it anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. Like I'll always respect him as a, he's probably a future hall of fame receiver, but I'm going to buy, even though the quote unquote projections have him for right around this number, if not a few yards higher, uh, this is like a gut play for me to where like I'm going where like the defense is going to be better than Tennessee's was in week one. Rondell Moore is going to play a bigger role. Christian Kirk is going to play a bigger role. The overall pass volume there, they might not score 38 points. So to me, that leads me to like, who was the most inefficient receiver? AJ Green, he gets six targets again. He's not going to get 41 and a half receiving yards. So to me, I really like that play uh, on AJ Green. That was the line that we gave out earlier in the week. Um, I'm not sure if like that line and another line to me is James Conner. James Conner, Sleepy, didn't get a single target in week one, but the book, you know, I guess I will give credit to DK when credit's due. Like the books actually were putting out receiving lines on James Conner earlier in the week. Uh, I'm looking now and you can still get it. You can still get James Conner under one and a half catches. I'm going to bet under one and a half catches. The fact that Chase Edmonds is the clear cut receiving back in this offense. And again, they scored 38 points last week and Conner didn't have a single target. So, okay, maybe he gets one catch this week. Uh, I'm not betting on a guy to get two catches that had zero targets in the game before. And that's the role that Connor was brought in to do, to be the early early down back, to be the goal line back. Any type of long down and distance, third down, negative game script situations, they're throwing to Edmonds and not to Connor. So to me, even though the juice has moved a little bit uh, in our favor, I give it out at minus 115. To me, James Connor under one and a half catches, minus 130. I really do like. Uh, and then A.J. Green, again, uh, under it's now under 40 and a half. I still do like that. I gave it out at 41 and a half earlier this week to our discord channel. Um, the reason why I'm, I'm on the unders, even though I'm really high on the Cardinals is because I'm really high on Hopkins. I'm really high on Kirk. I'm really high on Moore. but I think those lines are pretty set are set pretty well in the market. So I'm looking to attack the unders on guys that I think clearly do not have a role in this offense uh, that are being propped up by Kyler Murray and what they did in week one alone. So those are my two favorite prop plays for the Cardinals for this game. Yeah, you mentioned A.J. Green. I don't know if we were just talking in passing or something like that, Chris, but you had mentioned him. I went ahead and played him like a day or two later after we had talked under his receptions, which were three and a half. You know, the 40 and a half or 41 and a half. You know, the only thing that scares me about A.J. Green, we know how tall he is. And if if Murray, you know, bombs one down the field, he could beat you you know, with one catch, but I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of production going his way. You know, the tight ends really weren't in the mix last week. The running backs did rather well. And it seems like, you know, to me, you know, that more Kirk and Hopkins have surfaces, number one, two, and three. I just don't know where AJ Green fits in. You know, maybe he'll beat you on one throw. I don't know, but I don't think he's catching four passes in that particular game. But Chris, I do have to ask you to teach us something. Last week, you tried to teach us something with Elijah Moore saying, look, this guy for the Jets, he's probably going to be highly owned. And let's flip it over to Minnesota. There was a guy last week who you and I were like, who's this dude? And that was that KJ Osborne ends up having, you know, a, a pretty damn good game. Now, if you go over to DraftKings, I think he was like 3,800. And I was going to plug him in. I'm like, here's my cheap guy. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, wait a minute. I got to talk to Chris first because he's probably going to tell me that this guy's going to be 60% owned in every league. Stay the hell away from him. There's no way with Cook and Thielen and Jefferson, that this guy's going to get that type of production again. He's going to have that type of result. Maybe we're wrong, but this is probably an avoid K.J. Osborne in any DFS league week, right, Chris? 
DFS wise, yes. Uh, prop wise, no. I actually like KJ Osborne. Uh, I like KJ Osborne over 34 and a half receiving yards. Um, the reason being is that he simply saw the volume in week one. And I'm going to give you, re- okay, w- one week, right? We always say the sample size is too small. Don't overreact, et cetera, et cetera. What I'm going to react to in terms of KJ Osborne is that he's going into a week two game where there's a 50 and a half point total on this, on the over under, which is a very healthy total for us to buy into offensive production. Like we talked about before, the Cardinals are going to push the pace a lot in this game, as opposed to the Vikings and Bengals, which, Hey, that went into overtime, right? Like the Bengals were throwing at a very low rate in that game. They were really running a lot with Joe Mixon. But when you look at the final, uh, the final box score at the end of the day, KJ Osborne got nine targets. Just Justin Jefferson got nine targets. Thielen got 10 targets. So, Kirk Cousins was throwing the ball just as much to, to KJ Osborne as he was with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. And the thing I like about that is the fact that Irv Smith is on IR. He's out for the year. We all were trying to debate, like, should it be Tyler Conklin as a new breakout tight end or a, a new viable tight end? Let me say it, let me say it that way. Or, you know, hey, the Vikings just cra- traded for Chris Herndon. Like, remember when he flashed a couple of years ago, uh, you know, four – you know, when, when he flashed for the Jets a couple of years ago, and we were all trying to draft him and he busted. You know what happened in week one was that the third receiver, it wasn't Irv Smith because Irv Smith was gone. It was Osborne. And Osborne is a second year receiver. And as we know, we talked about this extensively on our fantasy podcast is that second year receivers in the league have an extremely high hit rate in terms of exceeding expectations to what their fantasy ADP was for that year. So this is a guy who was simply buried on the depth chart in, week, in, in year one of his career that is simply getting opportunity. And when you look at the matchup with Arizona, I don't expect the Minnesota Vikings to control the pace from start to finish in this game. So I believe they will need to throw, you know, at some point above expectation. And to me, if like, okay, I'm like, okay, these guys all got equal targets in week one. I'm not expecting Osborne to match the targets of, Je- of Jefferson and Thielen in week two. But the fact is, Thielen's line is 66 and a half. Jefferson's line is 71 and a half. Osborne's line is 34 and a half. So I, I just think that they're a guy who got nine targets in a game where they might, might, they might need to throw even more than they did in week one. Uh, 34 and a half is a number I'm more than willing to attack. Uh, if I'm wrong and he goes to nothing, I'm wrong. But he looked good. Like every time I was watching that game more than anyone because, uh, you know, more than I do with my other games because obviously it's my Bengals playing. This guy was making catch after catch. He was getting open. He was catching the targets that he got, you know, caught seven to nine targets overall. Jefferson only caught five and nine targets. So I'm not saying this guy's better than Jefferson by any means, but I do think there is clear value on Osborne in the prop, like 34 and a half. Okay, that's an easy prop to beat, but that doesn't mean you want to play him in DFS because this guy, let's say this guy winds up with five catches for 60 yards. Like we easily cash our prop, but we're not really getting all that much uh, in the DFS market, even though he is exceeding expectation there too. So that's my thoughts on him overall. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm interested to pay, if you're in a dynasty league for fantasy, like he's the guy I'm more than willing to add out the waiver wire because again, second year receiver could break out in a sense in that way with no Irv Smith. Like he might be the guy that benefits as opposed to a tight end, like a Tyler Conklin or a Christopher Herndon there. Well, I'll give you the reason why I don't want to mess with Osborne, at least in DFS. And it's simple. It's just, you know, it's it's the percentage, the percentage that I think he's going to be owned. But one of the reasons why I was like looking at him was because I had upgraded the 
Cardinals defensive line quite a bit after week one. And I think that there's a possibility that Dalvin Cook could be somewhat limited early in this game. Like if the Cardinals come into this game, they're like, what do we have to do? Slow down Cook. And look, if Cook does struggle early in this game, I think the you know the Vikings probably end up in, in some type of a pass-happy offense because the Cardinals are going to put up points. So that was kind of what I was thinking with him. I did want to bring that up. Now, Chris, I went ahead. I took your suggestions. I went ahead. I stacked the Chargers players. I have Herbert, Mike Williams, and Cook in my season long, and I also went ahead and I plugged them into my DFS. I figured why not shift away from Keenan Allen I thought that that would be a, ha- a a pretty heavy stack. So I wanted to go ahead and take Mike Williams, which I don't think, you know, is a bad play there. But the Chargers are going to play Dallas. Chargers are going to be minus three and a half here at home. Total of 55. So we're expecting points. You and I talked about this days ago. You told me what to do. I went ahead. I did it. So I went ahead. I didn't go Keenan Allen and Herbert. I went ahead and I went Herbert, Williams, and Cook. So that's what I did. But how are you feeling about that game fantasy prop-wise? Yeah, so like one of the last things that I do in the week is look at ownership projections. And this is something we hope to have in the future. But for as of now, we're looking at various websites that we trust in the market uh, that have been doing, you know, DFS projections for FanDuel, for DraftKings for many, many years. And we're using this because, again, like, you know, we're doing tournaments like single entry three entry max, maybe the Millie maker, you can, you know, can enter 150 lineups. You're trying to win big prize pools, et cetera. Like you want to try to avoid having your, you can't have your entire lineup be highly owned players, right? Whether they're, they're high price or low price, et cetera. But the thing with Elijah Moore, like, you know, we talked about him being very highly owned, right? And what happened? Like people thought, oh, his price is so low. Like I have to get him in my lineup because he's going to make me jam in all these like high price guys. But the problem was is that everyone was on the $3,000 receiver and he busted. So if you had him and he busted, like you're stuck with the rest of the field. And what's happening is the other 10% of the field or 20% of the field, et cetera, that didn't roster Elijah Moore, like they're, they're, they beat you. You're done. Like you're not cashing that lineup. Like you're, you know, you're not, you're not profiting from that lineup there. So that's the issue I have, even though, look, I, I was on Elijah Moore over three and a half receptions. Like, that's a prop I got wrong, right? Like, I told you at the beginning of this podcast, I was nine and six in my props in week one. Like, I got nine right and six wrong. Like, he was one of the ones I got wrong. I was happy to finish 60%. But in terms of this week, when it when we're looking at this game, like, this is the game I want to attack, and it's going to be high-owned, right? Keenan Allen right now is projecting to be the fourth-highest-owned receiver on the DraftKings slate, Sleepy. So when you say you're fading Keenan Allen, but you're still stacking that game. Like you've got it right on the head. Like that's exactly what you want to do for this matchup. And honestly, what I think you want to do is you might want to consider like switching up your line. If I was doing a three entry max GPP tournament on DraftKings, like I would have a Dak Prescott stack and I would have a Justin Herbert stack, but I would look to possibly try to fade Keenan Allen if you can, because Keenan Allen's projected ownership is like near 20%, which is very high. Mike Allen's, uh, Mike Williams' projected ownership is like 2.9%. Like, so he's the big play threat who got a lot of targets in week one. And in, in, in even a better matchup in week two, like his role could have changed in this offense. He's playing in a contract year. So I think there's clear value on Mike Williams. Like, I don't understand why the ownership projection is, is less than 3%. If that's the case, like, 
Um, if you notice, if you go to bettingpredators.com, Sleepy, like I, I don't, you probably haven't noticed this yet because I know you usually check my rankings over the weekend. But uh, you know who the you know who the cover boy is, the poster boy in my fantasy rankings article. It's Mike Williams. I have Mike Williams. I use his picture. Like this is like something I take very personally. Like who am I going to use to put as my banner image for my freaking article for the week? And I've got a picture of Mike Williams with his tongue sticking out showing the rest of the fantasy world he's going to dominate in week two. So the fact his ownership percentage is week three, is is in week two is less than 3%. I'm more than willing to ride Mike Williams because the big play threat is there. The matchup is there. The targets compared to week one, those are there as well. I have Mike Williams ranked as my 19th ranked wide receiver in my fantasy rankings. That's eight spots above consensus. I've got him one spot below Jamar Chase, who I also have eight spots above consensus. I have Mike Williams one spot above Chris Godwin, who you just heard me be so high on. I also have prop bets earlier in the week that I gave out on Mike Williams over his catches, four and a half receptions, which was plus money, plus 105, and over 57 and a half receiving yards, which actually I will admit we did not get the best of that number, but we have him projected for close to 75 yards. So I still thought that was a very solid bet, even though I was a little bit late to jump on that myself. So I, the clear value DFS, the clear value prop wise is on Mike Williams for this game. And I also do like Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb because with no Michael Gallup in a high pace game like this, Cooper and Gallup could easily clear 100 yards each without a sweat. And the fact they're lying in the, in the low to mid 70s, there's also clear value on those two guys. So I, I, I'm all about that. Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, bring it back with Cooper and Lamb or one of those guys. You got yourself a super high ceiling stack that's going to that's actually going to carry lower ownership than you would expect because you're fading Keenan Allen. So I do like that play overall. So let me ask you this, Chris, to close up this game. And this is one of the things that I thought. And I'm like, I wonder if this changes, if this is going to hurt Williams. And I started to think about it. I'm like, well, it has to. But let's go back to last week. Austin Eckler didn't even get a catch, dude. Like, that is super-duper uncommon. What have you done with Eckler? Do you think that might continue? And do you have any reason why he didn't get a catch in that game? Because that's just – I mean, that's why people are drafting him. People are high on him because he's going to catch passes. Guy didn't even have a catch last week. Yeah, no, it's a a good point. So here's what I'm going to say is that I don't know – what to make of it yet. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example here because, you know, I think a big reason people follow us is that they like that we're transparent about everything, the wins and the losses. Like I was on JD McKissick unders for receiving in week two on Thursday night. I actually played both his receptions under and his receiving yards under, and I lost those props. You know why though? Because when you looked at the history of JD McKissick with Taylor Heineke, as well as in week one, he was starting to get phased out of the offense. But what happened was, is that although Washington was a favorite on Thursday night football, they fell behind against the Giants early. And it forced them to play their hand of like, who is our two minute back? Who is our no huddle back in the two minute offense? And it was JD McKissick. And he was even close to cashing one of those props, even late in that game, despite being used very heavily. But in this case, like I'm not willing to bet Austin Eckler because he's the featured back who also has the third down role. So for me, like the DraftKings has the receptions for Eckler juiced under minus 125 at under four and a half catches. Like I'm not willing to play over or under because I don't want to predict what's going to happen in his role. But what I will say 
is that Justin Herbert, like he wants to push the ball down the field and he has Keenan Allen. He has Mike Williams. He has other ancillary receivers like lining up on the outside, running deep routes. And if he was, if he was like willing to do that against the Washington football team in week one and not check down Eckler, uh, I am a little bit worried. And, and the last thing I'll say on that, which kind of puts it all full, full circle here is that Anthony Lynn, like he was the guy calling the plays in, in Los Angeles for the Chargers, right? Uh, what happened in week one when Anthony Lynn was calling the plays in Detroit? Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift had a ton of targets and a ton of catches and a ton of receiving yards. So I'm very concerned right now that Austin Eckler is simply, hey, maybe he gets used at the goal line more and scores a couple rushing touchdowns, which is great. Like if we thought that about Eckler before the season starts, we're like, hey, we're drafting this guy first round pick no matter what. But if he doesn't get the receiving work, and if that if that kind of like overload receiving work was a product of Anthony Lynn being the OC, and you're not getting that again, then you're starting to get worried. So I want to wait it out and see. I don't want to overreact. But the way Justin Herbert prefers to push the ball downfield and not check down, and then the fact that Anthony Lynn is bringing that pass catching running back uh, play calling system to Detroit, and we didn't see it in Los Angeles in Week One, that has me very concerned with Eckler's role. Uh, I want to wait it out and see, but it makes me very bullish on Mike Williams, very bullish on Keenan Allen for DFS, even though his ownership is high. Um, Justin Herbert showed he's that guy last year. Like he's chucking the ball downfield. He trusts his accuracy. He trusts his deep ball. He trusts his weapons. And if he's got the OC behind him, that's calling plays to fit that style and that preference, then, you know, it's going to be hard for Austin Eckler to be, the receiving back that he was in the past. So that, that, that's kind of my thoughts on that right there. And let's go back to last year, Chris. Eckler was out of there quite early. I mean, that was Herbert's rookie season. So a lot of what people are projecting are not with Herbert. I mean, if you're going back to Philip Rivers territory. So I'm not going to wait, Chris. I'm, you, you, after everything you talked about, I'm putting everything together in my head. I'm going to play Austin Eckler under four and a half receptions this week. I believe that the coaching along with the Herbert thing and and to be honest with you, just the numbers from last week, the fact that he didn't get a catch, I don't even know how much of an adjustment that would be like in our heads. Like you go from zero to five, that's going to beat us. Like you're talking, you know, taking a guy who has five receptions to damn near 10. So it just doesn't make sense. So I think there's still value in that number, Chris, under. And it, look, if, if if they beat me, they beat me. But there are fundamental changes with the coach. I believe the quarterback um, hasn't had a whole hell of a lot of work for him. So I'm giving that out. Chris talked me into it. I think it all makes sense. Eckler under his four and a half catches. Let's jump to the next game here, Chris. We got two more, three more to do. If we keep this under two hours, I'd be surprised, but we'll try. Uh, We got Tennessee Titans, Seattle Seahawks, Seattle at home minus six and a half, total 54 and a half. Chris, I'll let you rip and run on this one. I don't have anything for this game. I'm sure you do. What do you got? Um, well, I actually don't <laughs> surprisingly, uh, you know, we've, we've been going in on some of these games, like the Arizona, Minnesota, the Los Angeles, Dallas game. Like those are the two games I have the most volume on for props for Sunday. Um, as opposed to, you know, in, in comparison to a few others, I have a couple on as well. This game, I don't, I got burned on DK Metcalf. I bet his over receiving props on week one. Uh, it didn't hit, you know, the Seahawks didn't really need to throw all that much in that game. I've seen some people give out Metcalf over 79 and a half. Um, 
I get it. I totally get it. But I'm a little worried because I don't know if the Seahawks are going to need to throw that much against the Titans here, man. Uh, and A.J. Brown, I thought we'd get a discount on. Uh, we gave out I, – I gave out his over on – these were the like three of the prop – three of the six I mentioned I lost last week were on A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and Julio Jones. So I'm kind of I'm, – I'm a little scared here. Like, you know, we're not – Usually, when when you lose on an over, you get a discount the next week. Uh, we're seeing a, a tax increase on AJ Brown, on DK Metcalf, and on Julio Jones for this week. And for those reasons alone, I'm kind of staying away from this game. And I think this could be a great. You know what? For me, it's like don't bet props in this game because I'm not getting value, quote unquote. But you know what? You know, stack the hell out of this game because Russell Wilson. His ownership projection is extremely low. The Titans might have like a bottom three secondary in the NFL. And, and people can check that out when you talk about your full defensive rankings on, on, on our subscription package for the end season. But the fact you're getting such a low ownership on Wilson, okay, I'm totally fine with stacking him with Metcalf and Lockett. I'll bring back the stack with A.J. Brown. I don't have to worry about hitting the props, but you know what? If half those guys hit, then my DFS lineup's looking really good because this game could shoot out, uh, and and I'm and I'm willing to bet on that for my DFS lineup specifically. So I'm attacking this game from a DFS angle. Uh, too many unknowns for me uh, that I'm a little scared of based on Tennessee's Week One performance with not having Arthur Smith in the offense overall. Uh, so that that's really the only place that I'm looking right now. I, I just haven't been able to attack a single prop on the game uh, on the board for this game right now. The only prop I would consider, and I gave this out last week, was Chris Carson over his receiving yards of 15 and a half. And he exceeded that. He I think he had like 30 in that particular game. And I'm looking right now, Chris, it's at 16 and a half. So they adjusted that number up one yard. I don't think that that's remotely close to enough. I mean, I can understand maybe somewhere in that 25, 26 area. Like, that's where I think maybe that number should be. So I'm going to go ahead and use Chris Carson again. I'll go ahead and give that out over his receiving yards again. I know that Wilson likes to throw Carson the ball. He gets targets in that particular offense, and he actually does quite well at receiving the ball. So I'm going to go ahead and I'll play him again. I'll give it out again until they adjust it. And he actually, there's going to be a game where he absolutely smashes that number. And then they're going to go ahead and go, all right, we need to get this guy up somewhere, you know, close to 25 yards uh, in his receiving yard. So I'll go ahead and give that out. Yeah, I stand corrected, Sleepy. I actually had that on my list. It's just that week two, like we have so much to take advantage of with the numbers we have and, and what we're seeing and books over adjusting, under adjusting. I'm 100% with you. That's the one prop I actually did have listed. Uh, I gave this out so early in the week, I forgot about it because there's so many things I like for week two, but 100% agree with you. Minus 115 is when I played it. It's only at minus 120 now. Uh, he's the clear receiving back in that offense. So regardless of the game script, even if they're blowing the team out, he's still going to get that work. Especially with no Rashad Penny there. Like the only backup running back they have now, who's going to play probably most of the snaps in a complimentary role, might be Alex Collins. Uh, I don't think they trust DJ Dallas to really handle that much receiving work either. So Chris Carson, to me, that's a clear value on him over 16 and a half. This is a number that when he was healthy last year, he, cle- he cleared on like a 65, 70% basis. So I, I really do like that prop as well. I played it myself already. All right, let me just say one more quick thing before we move to the next game about the Tennessee Titans. I'll tell you as far as a better, you know, who does this every day. What we're hoping for in this particular game is that Tennessee gets beat and that they don't cover. 
that's going to create the Tennessee Titans to be really salty, really pissed, and undervalued probably for multiple weeks in a row. And that team's going to go out and probably steamroll some teams. And look, this isn't an easy situation for them. They have to go into Seattle. This is probably one of the toughest places to play, probably in most sharp handicappers, the highest home field advantage you know, when it comes to the betting line. I think if Tennessee doesn't cover this game and they and and they play well, but they just don't cover and they get beat in this game, they're going to be salty, and we're going to end up with a lot of value on this team, and that's a team that we're going to want to go ahead and play on, you know, for multiple weeks in a row. And I'm not saying that as a suggestion to you guys. I'm telling you that that is what I'm going to do. I will be on Tennessee if they in fact lose and don't cover this game because there will be value because this is going to be one of the teams that's talked about with. Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry and, and Tannehill, and they were supposed to be this, and, and they're actually that, and, and people are going to overreact to that. In week one and two, you end up with the biggest overreactions that you end up with all year long. So Tennessee lost last week. They're getting a bunch of points here on the road. If they do, in fact, go into Seattle and lose, I'm telling you, there will be value on this team for multiple weeks in a row. Let's jump over to the Sunday night football game here. Chris, we have the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. I have one prop for this particular game, total 54, Baltimore plus three and a half. Chris, somebody asked me, they said, why hasn't this line moved? And I said, well, there's probably a couple reasons for this, but let me give you one of the main reasons why it probably isn't going to move until Sunday. And a lot of people like the Chiefs in this particular game because the Ravens are pretty banged up. Now, people understand that the Ravens are coming off of a loss. They're very good at home, but they are beat up. And more than likely, this line would probably trickle up to four. You know, and if this was just a normal game, but this is a primetime game. It's going to be a lot of money bet on this particular game. So the books have to be careful. So the reason why I believe that they haven't moved this number as of yet is they don't want people taking 10 and a half points with the Ravens in a teaser. So just wait it out. If you like the Ravens and you're looking to go ahead and try to tease them up, just wait. There's a good chance closer to kickoff, you're going to get a little bit better of a line. I don't believe this line's going to come down. I think the books are looking for this game to land on three or four, and it's probably going to help them, you know, split the result at the sports book if the game lands three or four. But the teaser is probably why this one hasn't moved more than likely. That's just my thoughts. But Chris, I'll let you go and rip a run on this one. As I mentioned, I got one prop, but I'll let you go first. Well, this is a prop that I'm a little scared of, but I thought the value was too much to ignore. And we've seen the line move three yards in our favor. Earlier in the week, I gave out Lamar Jackson under 71 and a half rushing yards. Uh, the projections just couldn't get there for me uh, when it comes to what we have projected for this game. Lamar Jackson is probably closer to like the low 60s mark. Um, and I think especially if you think that the Ravens, you know, their defense looks suspect. We've got Lamar Jackson projected for close to 60 rushing yards. So for me, 71 and a half was enough for me to make a wager on that. Although, you know, this is obviously a guy who can easily beat you with that. But, you know, we're playing the numbers from week to week, getting as much edge as we can. Uh, if you see the Kansas City Chiefs make a, get a lead in this game, uh, you, you know, I think they're going to game plan specifically against Lamar Jackson running the ball. Like beat us with the pass, throw it to Watkins, throw it to Brown, throw it to Andrews. Um, you know, even when a in in uh, the last time that Lamar Jackson played the Chiefs, you know, he did rush for more than 71 yards. But the two times before that in his career, he had an overtime game against Kansas City where the Chiefs won 27 to 24. 
he rushed 14 times for 67 yards. Um, that was in his rookie year. And then the time after that, uh, he rushed eight times for 46 yards in a game where the, uh, the Ravens only lost by five points. So even if this game is competitive, even if the Ravens are losing in this game, I think the Chiefs defense is going to be schematically, we've seen them, they're like, hey, Lamar, beat us with the pass. And, you know, Lamar just might do that. He has an extra weapon now with Sammy Watkins. Uh, so I am looking for Lamar despite the running back situation. I don't think that automatically means that he's going to run more. Uh, you know, he did rush for 86 yards against the Raiders, but we did get overtime in that game. Uh, and that was a little bit more of a back and forth contest as we anticipated. And that was the first game where Latavius Murray was getting into the fold, where Tyson Williams had his first real NFL experience. So we've got a little bit more experience for Murray in the Ravens offense. We've got a little more experience for Tyson Williams as a, as, as a quote unquote rookie second year, but never played last year. Uh, for those reasons alone, with the track record, track record against the Chiefs, I do like Lamar under 71 and a half. Again, I probably wouldn't buy it under 68 and a half. My buy price was very close to the original bet price. So the lines moved away to where we can't really bet the under anymore. Um, the other the other prop that I do like, Sleepy, though, is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, receiving. And when you look at what he's done against the Ravens, you know, from dating from last year, obviously, in his rookie season, uh, and what the Ravens allowed last week to the uh, to the Raiders with Kenyon Drake, uh, Clyde edwards Elaire, he's the clear cut number one receiver in this offense. And as and maybe fantasy wise, season long leagues, he's not giving us the receiving production that we want. But the fact remains is that he's the only running back really getting any type of work in this offense here. Like he had three targets last week against the Browns in week one, three catches, 29 yards caught all three of his targets. Daryl Williams, I'm sorry, he got one carry compared to 14 carries for Edwards Elaire. Uh Daryl Williams didn't see a single target. So, we're seeing Edwards Elaire actually get like the, the the percentage volume that we want as the starting running back in this offense here. So, for me, seeing what the Ravens allowed to the running backs for the Raiders last week in addition to the usage we saw for Edwards Elaire in week 1, I think there's clear value on him and when you look at what he did against Baltimore last year, he had six targets, five catches for 70 yards. He had many games where he was able to pass this number, but he was also splitting time as a rookie with Darrell Williams, with Le'Veon Bell. Like Darrell Williams is not playing a factor right now with Edwards Elaire healthy and Bell is gone. So I'm more than willing to like buy the dip, so to speak, on Edwards Elaire. Like the market will sooner than later realize this guy was like a prolific pass catching. He set receiving records for running backs in college. Uh, you know, th there could be a point in the near future where we're seeing the receiving line on him being close to 30. Uh, it's 18 and a half right now. So I, I really, I gave it out. I think I gave it out 17 and a half when the line uh, came out earlier this week. Obviously hasn't moved a ton, but 18 and a half to me, still value on him. I'd play him up to 20 uh, at least for, for Edwards Zulera on a Sunday night. All right. So with Baltimore, in Kansas City. Let me just say last week I was uh I was a genius with Lamar Jackson. I went ahead, I took his passing yards over. That one cashed. Uh, I gave that out widely. And then another one that I gave out widely, which I turned out to be an idiot, Chris, was Tyree Kill under six and a half catches. I think he beat me in like the first quarter. I mean, the guy had fifteen targets, eleven catches. I'm like, yeah, 197 yards, one touchdown. I'm like, yeah, that didn't make me look too good. So I ended up breaking uh, pretty much even 
with those two waiters. But here's what I think, Chris. I think Lamar Jackson is going to throw the ball quite a bit in this game. I don't know if he'll go over his passing yards. They boosted that up quite a bit. It's up to uh, like 228 and a half now. I mean, I was betting that last week. It was at 204. I was betting it at 209. I just kept laying into it and betting it. But, you know, know, they adjusted. But I do think he's going to have to throw in this game. But what I noticed in that Raiders game, and this was one of the reasons why I looked at, at Hollywood Brown in my, in my you know season long and a, a guy I picked up is because I figured Jackson would be throwing him some bombs. And he didn't go downfield a whole lot in that particular game. And I believe that Jackson this week is going to be put in a situation where he's going to have to throw the ball, but they have to move the chains against this team. If they don't move the chains, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. You could get his re- completions right now at like 20 and a half, 19 and a half. I think Lamar Jackson dinks and dunks his way. The fact that the running backs got some looks now and they were involved in the passing attack, that they're going to be able to say, all right, you know, here's what these running backs could finally do for us. Here's where we can use them. And I think you're going to see a lot more Mark Andrews last week. Didn't use him a whole lot. I think you're going to see a lot, of, a lot of short passes this week, dinking and dunking down the field. And I think Jackson's going to, you know, avoid having to go ahead and make long passes down the field like, you know, Watkins crushed you, Chris, but it saved my day last week. And I don't think we're going to see a lot of that this week. I think that that's probably not a a healthy recipe for Baltimore to have success. I think a lot of dinking and dunking, you know, a lot more Mark Andrews, a lot more of the running backs, you know, and anything that Watkins and and those guys kind of in the intermediate area is going to get him over his 20 and a half completion. So I went ahead. I did that. As I mentioned, I think his uh, – I think his yardage is a little bit adjusted after last week, but that's a situation that, you know, I felt that that was pretty good for him because the running back situation was just a mess, but now it's a little bit more clear. Let's jump over to uh, the game that I don't want to talk about, Chris, Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers. Packers are going to lay a monster number here at home, 12 and a half, total 48. I'm not playing anything in this game just because Green Bay, the data that we have from them on offense is just completely piss poor. I know a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, but look at Detroit. Their defense stinks, but I have to see something from Green Bay. That's my team. I mean, I expected to see some life out of them last week. I didn't get any life. So show me before I do anything. And look, maybe this is the wrong approach for me because you usually want to you usually want to bet on teams that, that did bad, and a lot of people were thinking Green Bay is going to go out, get right, blow Detroit out of the water, put up 40-some points, and look, that might be, that might be well and, and, and true. And I hope that that happens, but I'm not ready to invest in on any player in this particular game because that Green Bay defense looked bad. They can go out there and shut Goff down. So I'm going to pass this entire game, Chris. I'm going to root for my Packers to get right. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I, I think that when you look when you look at this game, uh, to me, the only value, similar to what we mentioned with Chris Carson with the Seahawks, I liked his – we both liked his over 16.5 receiving yards – I like Aaron Jones, man. I like Aaron Jones over 16 and a half receiving yards in this game. Um, you know, it, we can't take anything out of week one, right? But but what I can take out of week one is the same process and analysis I had going into the season, which was, hey, Jamal Williams is no longer in Green Bay. And when we look at Jamal Williams and what he did you know, in his career with Green Bay, like we were always mad that he was taking away opportunities uh, from Aaron Jones in that offense, like every single year in Green Bay, Jamal Williams had a minimum of 25 catches. Even in 2019, he had almost 40 receptions, uh, average anywhere from like a low of 34, 35, up to 45 targets per season. 
Uh, and the fact is, is that the only other running back that's getting playing time for Green Bay is A.J. Dillon. Uh, I don't think he had 45 receptions in his entire collegiate career. So as much as he could be used in the passing game down the road, uh, I don't believe it's happening in week two. And when you look at the Packers, man, like Sleepy, you know this better than anyone. Like you watch all their games. Uh, the Packers pull their starters essentially at halftime. And, you know, what do we have to work with from, from week one? And if we have anything to work with, it's the fact that, you know, Aaron Jones in a negative game script, like he saw, uh, a, a, you know, two targets had two catches for 13 yards. And that's in a game where like, they just didn't have anything going for them. So the fact that I think that Aaron Jones is going to benefit from Jamal Williams, like, he had at least a couple of targets in week one, even in a game where every single thing went wrong for Green Bay. We've seen Aaron Jones like break the slate in terms of showdown lineups for primetime games. We all remember what he did, you know, against the Chiefs on primetime a couple of seasons ago. Uh, this guy is one of the probably top five most talented pass catching backs in the league. So I expect him to get a couple looks to say the least. Uh, he had, he had two targets in basically less than a half of action last week. I think he'll get the same, you know, treatment for both halves of this game. And if the Lions even keep it, you know, semi-competitive, I think we're going to see Aaron Jones get a lot more work than he did in week one. So that all goes to say to me, I just think there's clear value in the fact that, hey, this guy had two catches for 13 yards in week one. But this is the one game we don't want to use week one as a sample for. I want to use what this guy did you know, last season, what he's done over his career in a Packers uniform. And we, we've seen those games in the past where Aaron Jones completely smashes in terms of his receiving work. I mean, you know, this guy had games last season where he's putting together, you know, games of, you know, 68 yards, 40 yards, 49 yards, 43 yards. But those are all games where Jamal Williams is playing alongside with them as well. So I, I really do think there's value on Aaron Jones. Uh, other than that, it's difficult for me uh, because DeAndre Swift, to me, is the guy I want to attack in this game. Uh, I do think there is value on DeAndre Swift's receiving as well. 26 and a half to me is not high enough for a guy who led the Lions in in targets uh, in week one. And we're likely to see a negative game script for the Lions. So to me, again, another game where I'm on the running backs to exceed their receiving potential in terms of the prop market. So I like Aaron Jones over 16 and a half. I like DeAndre Swift over 26 and a half. Um, maybe DeAndre Swift over catches. I just don't like the minus 150. I got to pay for over three and a half receptions. So uh, let's stick to the receiving for now, but it's definitely an area we want to attack for me personally. It, it is the is the receiving yardage for the running backs on both sides for Monday Night Football. You know, Chris, you're, you're pretty genius there, I think, with – the Aaron Jones thing and and you bring up you know a, a really good point with him is that week 1 you have to go back to last year and if you go back to last year like you're like all right well these numbers are probably wrong again the juice is kind of going you know there's bets coming in on him over but let's go back to last week because i think that that's probably the most important part of the equation with Jones is that Aaron Rodgers didn't look good he didn't look good throwing the ball down the field. That Green Bay offensive line didn't look all that good either. So wouldn't it be wise for Rodgers to get in a little bit of a, let's just say, you know, a little bit of a groove throwing the ball 
short, maybe to the running back, you know, more than a couple times and just let Aaron Jones kind of do his thing and then say, all right, Aaron, you know, go ahead and let it rip, you know, do your thing. I think they, they were just, they, they were forced into a situation where Rodgers had to go ahead and, and try to be, you know, this, this MVP quarterback where he was rifling it down the field and his timing was off. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see a heavy, heavy passing attack, you know, Rodgers to Jones early in this game. And we might be sitting at halftime with a, a ticket that cashes, or we might even have, you know, two catches, you know, before halftime, just hoping and praying, you know, that we end up with one more, but I wouldn't be shocked if this actually cashes in the first half, Chris. Uh, I feel actually pretty good about that. And for me personally, the fact that you like the over 16 and a half yards, you know, on Fandle, you could do, you know, a same game parlay. Uh, maybe I'll go ahead and I'll just parlay Jones receptions and his receiving yards over because I feel like they have to go ahead and get, you know, that Green Bay offense rolling again. And why not let Rodgers go ahead and reach out, you know, to one of his better players on the team. So, um, and I don't recommend parlaying all the time, but I think it's kind of correlated in the sense. And I think the reasoning uh, is justifiable. So that's it, Chris. Here we go again. Another two hour podcast. I tried to get you not to talk so much, but Chris had, uh, you know, he's got 42 different sheets of stuff. I can guarantee you guys, and, and I won't even make a bet on this, but I, I would be willing to bet that Chris has another 30 props on his sheet that you guys didn't get on this podcast but you'll probably get in his player props article, which he's going to release here more than likely uh, probably either tomorrow night or, or early Sunday morning. I'm just guessing, Chris, how many props did you not give out? Cause I know you, I know you held up on a lot of games, so you can tell me I'm close to like 30. I gotta be right. Yeah. I, you know, I had to like, I had to pull back a little bit because or else we'd do a three hour podcast. But for me, this is like, we talked about this sleepy. This is the week where week two, uh, we have a clear edge because people are, are just like you're talking about in, in your in your column that you write for the website for our subscribers is like we have a clear edge. People are overreacting and they're underreacting. And to me, like we have no bye weeks going on, so we have 16 games. Like, okay, if I'm going to pick off two or three props on every game, like you could wind up with a lot of props. But you know what? I'm okay with that because prop limits are so low, and if we're hitting. Last year, we gave out, I gave out almost 300 props for the entire season for the regular season. And we hit at close to a 60% rate. We were about 58.8%. Like you're, you're making out pretty well when you're doing that. So for me, like, I'm not going to shy away from the volume this early in the season. The fact we have no bye weeks, the fact that we're actually having data to use and soft lines early in the week from DraftKings, like we talked about earlier. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm seeing, there's a couple games we talked about I don't have props on, but there are a few other games I do have, you know, two, three, four props on. And when you add those up in a 16-game week, like, you're going to wind up with a lot of bets. So I'm, I'm just betting on the numbers. I'm looking at the projections for every game. I'm looking at the edges we have, and I'm making bets based off that. And I'm going to stick to the process. So we had a lot of success last year in week two and week three, and I'm looking forward to having similar levels of success with that as well. So, you know, get in the Discord with us. Costs less than a dollar a day to subscribe. Get access to all of our premium content. Uh, other than that, my, my player props column will be free Sunday morning. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to get the best of the lines that we bet. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's my strategy. That's that's what I'm looking to attack. Uh, volume for player props to me is okay because of, because of the low, low limits and because, like, we're so early in the season, we can really take advantage. So that's where my head's at right now, and that, that's why I'm looking at a million different things. 
I'm actually looking forward to a few weeks from now where maybe the market balances itself out a little more. I don't have to spend so many hours looking at a thousand different prop options. Uh, that might be a little bit of a sigh of relief for me. But then again, I might not be able to get advantage on so many numbers at the same time. So it's kind of a kind of a give and take. So we'll, we'll see what the props do. But like I said, man, bet Javante Williams over rushing attempts. The books have to put that out at some point in the year, uh, at some point in this week. And uh, I think for the early parts of the year, we're going to be able to profit a lot off that just alone. So hopefully you got something out of this and out of that game and all the other games we talked about too. Sounds like you're a little salty there, Chris, about that Williams prop. I will say this, though, and this is one of the things that Chris and I had talked about going into last week and then after last week concluded. You know, we talked about week two being one of our biggest weeks, especially for player props. And as Chris had mentioned, you know, there's going to be underreactions and overreactions. And I'm actually going to write up something for you guys. But this is the week that you really want to go ahead and attack because of those under and overreactions. So, you know, when it comes to betting volume, um, this is a week that you're going to get it and the market's going to adjust. It's going to get tighter. So, you know, the amount of volume will go ahead and it'll, it'll eventually go ahead and trickle down to, you know, probably a normal sample size for Chris and I. But I think one thing that Chris mentioned that I have to go in and bring up and it's something that, you know, the Fanduels are doing, you know, somebody like Chris who's digging and diving and, 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 you know, hammering these numbers out. He's like, this is wrong, 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 wrong. And we're, you know, we're betting, 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 betting. What do the books have to do? Well, in order for somebody to not make money at 58%, the books have to do something. You ask any professional better. I'm talking guys out there who are betting, you know, nickels, dimes, 10 dimes a game. If they're hitting 58%, they're buying mansions every weekend. That is their dream. 55% is their dream. 58% is like hitting a lotto on top of the dream. So what do the books have to do? They have to do stuff like not let Williams prop out there. They have to go ahead and put the props up, you know, later or not offer players. Or, you know, one of the things that we're seeing right now with FanDuel, you know, they have to attach that juice. So instead of minus 110, now every prop, you know, is, is minus 114 on both sides. So, you know, they're doing what they can to protect against guys who are hitting, you know, like Chris at 58%. They're saying, you know what, if this guy's hitting 58%, we need to do something to protect ourselves because at the end of the day, they're running a business and, you know, Chris is running his own business, you know, attacking and trying to beat the books. And, and that's what we're all trying to do. So hopefully you guys got a lot of information. Hopefully you guys felt good about all the games that we went through and some of the prop plays that we gave out. Uh, as always, you guys know where to find Chris and I on Twitter at sleepyj underscore pregame at mad journalist. And you guys can find us over at bettingpredators.com, pregame.com. With all that said, two hour pod, Chris, time for you to go to bed. I'm still staying up. I got stuff to do. But with that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck for NFL Week 2. Enjoy the games.